in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. Welcome back into another episode of the Sports Hour. This is Mitch Moe. And this is Dallin. Guys, welcome in to the podcast today. It's good to be here, Mitch. It's October. Shouts out. It's spooky season. Mitch, I, I, I have, uh, I want to start with this today. I don't like Halloween that much. I don't like dressing up for Halloween as an adult. I've always told my wife, like when we have kids, you know, dressing up as a family, that's great. Right. You know, dad costume, a part of the group, all about all on board, but to just dress up as a 20 something man, on Halloween, I just not not my thing, not my thing. I usually can get out of it, but this year I can't get out of it. There's no usually I got a BYU football game gets me out of the Halloween party. Not this year, Mitch. So I got to dress up, but I've got the best costume. Are you ready for this? Let's hear it, Bob. And and I got to shout out Caitlin on this one because this was her idea. She brought this to me, so shout out to her for this. Oh. Uh, I am going to this Halloween party, this work Halloween party, as Ricky Bobby. Let's go. And my, I, get, I got a little Ricky Bobby suit. My wife's going to be my smoking hot wife, Carly. And uh, I'm I'm ready. I'm so ready. I'm going to I got I'm gonna have the quote fake, my dude. I'm going to have the quotes lined up, a pack of big red in my pocket. You know, I'm just like, I got to be carrying that Jackhawk 9000 on yeah. your hip. You know, I'm I'm so ready. So for once, I'm actually excited for Halloween and I'm excited to dress up now. So, well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, that's like that's quite possibly the, the best Halloween costume I've heard of this year. So right. So, I, I literally could never think of anything Ricky better. Bobby so. and a smoking hot wife, Carly. Hell yeah. yeah. Dude. Let's also, go. I'll have the suit. So now I could just do it like, you know, every other year and that'll just drive my wife insane. Uh, I love that. So now I, that could just be my default. Uh, so there, there you, go. you go. Excited for this Halloween season for once. The house smells like pumpkin clove candle. Uh, it's a mm. good time, Mitch. It's probably well, still like 95 degrees for you, isn't it? Uh, it was all it was in the upper 80s today, but we're we're getting okay. there. We're, we're working our okay. way back down. I gotta say it though, smell wise, falls the best. It has it has the best smells. Oh yes. It has oh, yes. the best smells. Like it's it's the best smelling season of yes of all. It's of the them. smelliest of them all. But like in the best way possible. <laughs> not like not like New York trash can in the summer smell. Like oh pumpkin. A lot of cinnamon. Cinnamon. Oh yes, yes. Oh, Clove, so nutmeg. It's just yes. It's all kinds of good stuff. We're all. I about gotta it. say. I gotta say. I'm. I am not. 
a big Halloween person either. And I think you know this, right? Job, right? Yep. My family growing up, it was Halloween. We would pass out kid you know, candy to the kids that came trick-or-treating or whatever. But it was our first excuse to watch the first Christmas movie of the year. Like, that was our rule. Oh, there you like, go. November on was Christmas movie season. Yeah. And October 1st was that – or October 31st was that day we could watch the first one. Um, so now as adults, we like to sit on the, sit on the front porch, pass out candy to the kids, a lot of little kids in the neighborhood. And then I also give the kids – that promised to be Bears fans an extra piece of candy. Um, there you so go. Like, going to be a Bears fan? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I give them an extra piece of candy. So, like, that's my rule. <laughs> okay. Dude, I'm if trying you're to build a fan base on the West Coast. If you have children in Chico, come visit the Dodd residence on Halloween right. and just tell Mitch you're going to be a Bears fan. That's right. He's going to hook it up. I got you guys. I got you guys. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a great time of year, Mitch. Uh, we've got a great podcast ahead. Today, because of this great time of year, the MLB postseason is literally around the corner. This weekend, we'll have postseason play in a new playoff format, and the teams are locked in. We're recording this on October 5th. It is a Wednesday. Uh, Today is the final day of games in the Major League Baseball season, but the seeds are set. So we're going to talk about these series today uh, in our news. We'll obviously hit the campus tour. A lot of big time matchups in college football coming up this week that we're going to be watching. Uh, And then for our NFL recap, we're four uh, games into the season. It's no longer technically the quarter park mark of the season because they added a 17th game and that just fucks it all up. But to us, it's still the quarter mark. So we're going to do a little NFL team tier rankings, ranking all 32 teams in the NFL based on their performances in the first four games. So that's what we got in store today uh, with much more fun uh, sprinkled in between. Uh, It shall be a blast. It's loaded. It's a loaded pod. It's it's like a potato. We got we got the cheese. We got the bacon. We got the sour cream. We got the chives. Buckle up, folks. You're entering the electric factory. I mean, it's just going to be it's going to be a hell of a podcast. I I can feel it in my plums, Dallin. It's going it's to bu- be an electric factory of a pod. It's buzzing in here. It's buzzing on this on this Microsoft Teams call. Uh, That's right. <laughs> Mitch. All right. Well, we got to start with the news then. Shall you, uh, shall you shall you get us in here? That's right. Let's get into the news and notes around the world of sports. Let's. Get into the news! Alan, one of my favorite things to do um, in my spare time is go fishing. I love fishing. Oh, yeah. And um, I got a new entry into the pit of misery. And I don't know if you guys have seen this on uh, social media. It's been all, all over TikTok and, and Instagram and Twitter. Um, but uh, there were a couple of fishermen over and let me get the state right because i i said wisconsin earlier it's ohio yep i just wanted to make sure it's ohio uh, over in ohio that got caught cheating in a fishing tournament by getting wet lead weights inside the fish and wrapping them in fish fillets to make heavier fish so they would win these fishing tournaments uh jake runyon and chase kaminsky uh the fishing cheaters welcome to the pit of misery dilly dilly um Look, how this all started was there was a fishing tournament in Ohio. They're fishing for walleye. And essentially, the, the guy that got all his fish weighed before him saw these guys pull their fish out. And he goes, well, wait, how are these guys getting 
more like heavier fish than me. My fish are bigger than theirs and they're weighing in like 15 pounds heavier. Well, they go in, they cut the fish open and lo and behold, there is store-bought walleye fillets wrapped around these little lead weights and there's multiples stuffed in these fish. And um, so they obviously are disqualified from a $30,000 fishing (laughs) tournament. And not only that, there's a lot of speculation and now they're investigating into how long they've been doing this because they've been winning tournaments literally for months, every tournament they enter. So now they're like going back on, okay, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars did you steal from these pro fishing commissions in it while cheating? So wow. this has sparked quite Holy the controversy. Cow. Um, thieves, cheaters, scumbags, all of those things, all encompassing over the names of Jake Runyon and Chase Kaminsky. So dilly dilly to the fishing <laughs> cheaters. Welcome to the pit of misery. Uh, outdoorsmen are honest people. They're honest folk. And, uh, you know, there's so, there is such a thing, the old adage of a fishing story. It was this long. No, it was this long. It right. was this long. <laughs> But this is just this is just dirty and they they deserve to sit in here for a while, man. Yeah, there is no place for that. Come on. That is I I've seen the TikToks. I I actually did hear about this. I didn't know all the details there. Uh, But man, yeah, that is that is crazy. Dilly dilly. Those those guys aren't getting out anytime soon. That's for damn sure. No, hell no. Uh, Mitch, let's jump into the news here with, uh, rumors. This is, uh, the sports hour TMZ (laughs) section of the podcast today, because this is unsubstantiated, right? This is being reported by page six, which is a subsidiary of the New York post. Like, I think it's their sports or their gossip. I don't know what it is, but so New York post, keep that in mind. Uh, but they are reporting that uh, Tom Brady and his wife Giselle are getting divorce lawyers, that a divorce may be imminent between the goat and his wife. And I guess why it got so much traction, Mitch, right? Because we all sort of can see it coming, right? (laughs) I mean, just the whole debacle of retiring and doing it for his family to be with his family, how important that was. I mean, he had the whole freaking facebook show right a couple years ago that was just all about how much he loves his family and his family guy tom brady right he finally retires i could be with the family and then a month later he's like psych i'm back uh clearly that was a rift he took that time off in the preseason for unbeknownst reasons right it was because they had a vacation planned with his wife he had to be on it's uh it's clearly been a bone of contention so for it to ultimately end in divorce, I guess, is not surprising. Hence why most people have sort of taken this to be true. We'll see if it ever gets reported by somebody more reputable, uh, like a, you know, Adam Schefter, an actual NFL reporter would have that sort of insight. But it is certainly surprising, Mitch. Uh, what a weird turn of events for Tom Brady in his life. I can't. I don't know what's happening. I I'm not a married man, uh, so I can't speak on the marital aspect of this, but Tom Brady might play 20 more years now that he's divorced. Like, <laughs> it, it might happen. 
Like we we might see. Remember that clip? I I saw this on uh I think I saw this on Twitter. You know the clip of like the old timers Kansas State or K- K- University of Kansas football game, and they let the guy that was a running back in like the forties run a touchdown yes, in. Yeah. That's gonna be Tom Brady in the NFL in about fifteen years when he's still yeah. playing. So like. Like, look, I, I can't speak on any of the marital stuff. I'm not a married man. I shouldn't have an opinion on it because nor do I have any experience in it. But <laughs> Tom Brady is never going to go away now. And so I hope that they don't get divorced because I want Tom Brady to go away. I want him <laughs> to not be a part of the NFL on the field, at least on the field. Yes. He could be you know, in other aspects, whatever. But on the field, I want him to go away. So I hope they can resolve their issues and continue to keep that family together for the for the sake of football, honestly. Yeah. I, 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 honestly, not even for the sake of his marriage. For the sake of football, you guys need like, to figure it out. What about the sake of his children? Like, I just don't well, know. Well, of what, course, like, the kids. Were, yeah. Like, he's like 45 years old. He could play another, like, what, nine months, have some horrific injury and be done with. And he might toss away his family and his wife for that. To play, yeah, that's that's to play that's shitty. to play yeah. the Carolina Panthers twice a year, right? To to yell at Scotty Miller to get in the right position on a play every week, like that's what he's choosing this over. I can't imagine the logic here. It's I, I, Tom Brady. You have a problem. Like it's time he needs a press. Mitch, I'm saying this. He needs a press conference tomorrow. He needs to get in front of the mic and he needs to say, I'm done. I'm out. I'm retired. I need to choose my family over this damn game. I've made enough money. I've done enough things. It's not worth it, Tom. What are you thinking? Like, that's what he should do. That's what he he should do. But if the rumors are true that they've both hired (laughs) divorce lawyers, he's clearly willing to willing to throw it away. So, yeah, that's where we're at with that. It, it is insane. It's oh insane. my goodness! Yeah, what 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 a time! Uh, again, well, you know, I can't even ever... put him in the pit of misery. He's already in there. I was just looking at it. <laughs> He's already in there for his fake retirement. Oh my goodness! Well, that fake retirement might lead to a real divorce, and that is just a, a an unforeseen turn of events. Hey, guys have prison sentences extended because they found him guilty of other shit. That's so. true. Hey, he definitely gets extended if if, the, if that's where this leads. Uh, Mitch, let's let's talk some NBA news. It's kind of NBA draft news in a way. This uh, just actually yesterday on October fourth, there was a showcase. I believe it was it was in Vegas, but a, a G League showcase. Uh, between the G League Ignite team, which for those who aren't familiar, G League Ignite is a uh, the is a team in the NBA G League that contains all college age, well, mostly college age players who elected not to go to the university for a season and then enter the draft, but instead play for the G League, earn some money. They make six figure contracts, so they make a good dough. Uh, you know, they get to play basketball and also get some immediate connections with the league. Uh, the team also will contain some NBA vets to sort of, you know, balance it out. But we've seen guys like Jalen Green, right, for the Houston Rockets was an NBA G League product uh, who elected not to go to college for that season. So uh, this year, the the highlight uh, player on this team is Scoot Henderson. He's a guard. Uh, he is like the oh, number what two. A, what a great, great name. name. Great Scoot name. Henderson. Scoot Henderson. He is he's a great name, Mitch, and he's a fantastic player. He's a, he's a guard. He's expected to be that like number two prospect uh, in this upcoming NBA draft. And he was facing off against who's expected to be the number one prospect 
in this upcoming M- NBA draft. And it's a guy that you may be familiar with plays for, uh, he plays over in France. It's Victor Wembanyama, uh, seven foot two. I guess people are saying seven foot four now. I guess he's seven foot four, which is just insane. Seven foot four. Uh, he is the expected number one pick. So again, this is number one versus number two, 18 years old Wembanyama. Uh, there were about 200 NBA executives and scouts in attendance for this game. Uh, and when Benyama and Scoot Henderson did not disappoint, uh, I do want to talk about uh, Victor here more, uh, more so. When Benyama had 37 points, five blocks, he was seven of 11 from three <laughs> and he had five blocks. And I, I want to say this. I said this, I tweeted this out last night. And then I saw Jonathan Gavoni of the NBA. Uh, he covers the NBA draft for ESPN. He said this on ESPN today. Not like this was my original thought by any means, uh, but Victor Wembenyama is like if Kevin Durant and Rudy Gobert like fused into one NBA player. Like that's the type of player we're talking about here with Victor Wembenyama. If you haven't had the chance to see this kid, there are plenty of highlights from this game Go on Twitter, go on YouTube, go watch some highlights because his his shot making ability on the perimeter, step back threes. He looks like Kevin Durant, long, lanky. He's just seven foot four instead of, you know, six eleven or whatever. Like it, it looks like Kevin Durant. But then when he's around the rim, he looks like Rudy Gobert with that pass with that uh, shot blocking defense uh the the long just super long arms and the ability to get a hand in every defender uh putting a shot up it is truly incredible it's what makes him that number one prospect in next year's draft it what it's what makes him potentially a generational prospect in terms of the nba it's why teams like the thunder the jazz the spurs the pacers have looked at this team this season and said this is a very good time to be really, really, really bad. <laughs> it just so happens to be a time to be really, because again, even with this Vector Wembanyama kid, if you miss out on him, Scoot Henderson looks like sensational. There's this could be a very deep 2023 draft class. So uh, again, Victor Wembanyama, this was the first taste for people, for a lot of people to see him in person in the sort of NBA circle uh, and see what he's capable of. And he did not disappoint an incredible prospect. And if you're into the NBA, if you're into the NBA draft and you're not familiar with him yet, uh, again, I go look up some highlights from that game last night against NBA G league ignite. He was a remark. He was a sensational. It was, it was incredible. Well, it sounds like I need to start paying a little bit more attention to G league and keep an eye on some of these guys. that are going to be draft prospects. I think you mentioned it before the show. Sounds like a good time after the Utah Jazz just gave up Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert for them to go 0-82 and yes. just go, hey, <laughs> fuck it. We're going to tank and we're going to get Victor Webinyama. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, and, and you certainly see a lot of teams motivated to do that. Uh, yeah, Mitch, I invite you to watch this G League Ignite team. That's good. Henderson kid is legit. And he put up 28 points and nine assists last night and looked really good doing it himself. Uh, and so, uh, he's a prospect to watch and well, he's college basketball just around the corner, you know, in a month or so. So we'll, we'll get a sense of, of how the draft, uh, sort of plays out here in a little bit. Well, he's already my new favorite player with a name like scoot. You, you I mean, to, like yes. he, he's already in my top five favorite players. So yes, a- absolutely. Mitch, uh, let's jump over to the MLB and one bit of news before we get into our postseason preview, but that is, 
that Aaron Judge has set the AL record for home runs, hitting his 62nd home run of the season, what, uh, two nights ago, last night? Uh, October, four, October 3rd, right? Yep. So congrats to Aaron Judge there. Since again, the AL record, the previous record was held by Roger Maris, who had 61. Uh, it puts Judge seventh all-time in, in single-season home runs. Uh, the only three players ahead of him are McGuire, Sosa, and Bonds. Uh, Bonds says obviously the 73 in one season. He had McGuire had three seasons with more, and Sosa, I think, had three seasons with more than than that 62 number. Uh, but still in a non-steroid era, he has hit the most uh, of any player not involved with steroids. Uh, at least that we know, obviously, I guess you could never say that you know, nowadays, but, uh, but a remarkable feat for uh, a player who's not only hitting for power, but I, he is, I mean, he's the for sure MVP this year. He's been incredible leading a great Yankee squad. So congrats to Aaron judge there. We'll see if he can hit 63 tonight. He still has one more opportunity again as recording this before games have taken place. But uh, yeah, Aaron judge, the new AL home run record leader. Let's just set the record straight right now. Aaron Judge is not doing performance enhancing drugs. He was that big when he came into the league. And he, <laughs> yes. And I'm pretty sure, I'm, yeah. <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. He holds the AL rookie home run record. Like he broke Mark McGuire's AL rookie home run record when he hit over 50, I think his rookie year. So like, oh yeah. Yeah. So like he's, he's been doing this the entirety of his career. It, it, he's, he's not on roids. This is a legitimate record. And uh, you know what? Also, as much as as much as this organization gets a lot of uh, credit and recognition for records, fitting that it happens in a Yankees uniform, you know, Babe Ruth held the AL record with 60 in a Yankee uniform. Barris broke it with 61 in a Yankee uniform. Judge does 62 in a in a Yankee uniform. So um, great for Aaron Judge. Uh, Doesn't look like we talked about him being on Triple Crown Watch. Uh, doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, he, yep. He's a good ways out as far as the batting average goes, um, but is definitely going to be in uh, in considerations and should be at the top of those considerations for AL MVP after this performance he's put on. He's been electric. Yeah, no doubt. I just looked it up. Uh, so they did already play today. The Yankees and Judge did not play. So he will stand at 62 home runs and he did hit it on uh, October 4th. So that was uh, Tuesday oh, this week. So. Yeah. Uh, October 4th, but yeah, 62 home runs this year for Aaron judge. Incredible, uh, really remarkable feat. And awesome to see that. And, uh, you know, have what Albert Pujols is doing, what he got up to seven Oh three, I believe, uh, by season's end, at least up until this point. Uh, so, I mean, just incredible to see these uh, records being broken and, and set in the major league baseball season. And Mitch, uh, now we're rearing into the postseason uh, for major league baseball. And, uh, we have an expanded postseason, an extra playoff team in a new format. So I'm going to remind you guys of sort of what this format looks at. And then Mitch and I will preview the wild card round of the MLB postseason. But uh, extra team, as I said, three wild card teams. So three division winner, three wild card teams. And we know those uh, six teams from each league uh, as of this moment for sure and where they'll be at. Uh, the top two seeds get a buy in the first round. So the top two seeds do not play in the wild card round. So in the AL, that's going to be the number one uh, seed Houston Astros and the number two uh, New York Yankees with the top two records there in the NL. It'll be the Los Angeles Dodgers at the number one and Atlanta Braves at number two uh, with them winning the NL East huge there to win the NL East over the Mets. Uh, as we'll see here, as we get to the wild card, 
Uh, the wild card is going to consist of two two matchups in each league. Uh, it is a three-game series, and all three of the games are played at the Better Seeds Stadium. So there's no uh, road there's no road game for the Better Seed. You're playing all of them at home. So obviously a challenge for that lower uh, lower seed there. They'll play three games. Those games start on Friday. Uh, those will be played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, October 7th through October 9th. So if you're listening to this coming up this weekend, that'll be the wild card series. And then the divisional series will begin Tuesday, October 11th. That's a five game series as we're familiar with. And then everything continues on uh, as, as we know, the, uh, the uh, ALCS, NLCS, seven game series, world series after that. But uh, Mitch, I'm excited about this new format. I'm excited about the three game series. Uh, I liked the one one play in game. I thought that created a very unique dynamic. But the three game series also has that sort of um, potential for chaos in that same way that a single game will. Uh, and I do like that that benefit of being a higher seed. Now, basically what this does is if you win your division, you know that you're either getting a buy or you're hosting all your games, right? So it incentivizes winning your division, even if your record isn't great. And if you can't win your division, it incentivizes winning a lot of games because that top wildcard team is going to host those games at home in that first round. So uh, I do like this format. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the format before we dive into these matchups. Yeah, I mean, it incentivizes winning more so than ever. And I think that's what you should incentivize when you're building a playoff grid, I I, we, I mentioned this a couple times over the course of this podcast. The Cardinals were like the kings of getting in at a wild card and like being in the NLCS and like right. winning winning 87 games and they're and they're in right. the NLCS and it's like <laughs> and it's like man that's not the best the best team's not there and so like this incentivizes a little bit more and I like I actually like the structure of the higher seeded wild card team hosting throughout the duration of the three game series. Um, it right. kind of adds like a, uh, a game 165 uh, you know, appeal to it. So it, it does feel really good that they, that they structured this way. I like the way they, they really did this. So. Yeah. Excited to see it uh, in, in person, you know, in real life uh, for the first time here uh, coming up this weekend, Mitch. So let's start with the AL Matchup. So again, the Houston Astros are the number one seed. The matchup that feeds into them is the four five matchup here. So let's start there. We've got uh, the Toronto Blue Jays wildcard team. They'll be hosting the five seed Seattle Mariners. Mitch, for the first time in 21 years, the Mariners breaking the playoff drought, making the MLB postseason. They've been one of the awesome stories uh, of the postseason, the, the Seattle Mariners. And they have a shot to to make some noise here. They got a they got the uh, wild card matchup here with the Blue Jays. Both these teams were pretty, really pretty good, pretty close. Ninety two and seventy for the Blue Jays, ninety and seventy two for the Mariners. Uh, three game series in Toronto. Where are you leaning here? You know, I I've talked about J Rod a couple times here, and I love Julio Rodriguez. I mean, th- this guy is just fantastic uh they got a great lineup top to bottom they have good pitching when we look at the when we look at the lineup there jared kalenic eugenio suarez um jp crawford mitch hanniger i mean a, a good solid lineup but dallin do you remember 
the last time Toronto was hosting playoff games in, in some big clutch games and how electric that stadium got for the Toronto mm. Blue Jays. Yeah. This might be in the wild card round the tough and maybe for the duration of the playoffs, the toughest stadium to play in because of how electric that crowd gets, how talented that Blue Jays team is. You and I talked about at the beginning of the year how great that Toronto Blue Jays lineup looks with all that great young talent. I I'm getting the Blue Jays in a sweep here. I think they get it done in two. Okay. Um, wow. But I don't think it goes without a fight from the Mariners. I think that the Mariners are a great story. I think they've definitely put their organization back on the right track, but the man, the Blue Jays are going to be really tough to beat in, you know, three games on the road that's going to be really tough yeah i think you know i think you're fair there uh in your estimation mitch but i'm not rolling against seattle here i'm not rolling against the m's uh i'm not rolling against the mariners supporting seattle here i'm gonna i'm gonna say they get it done in you know in three uh it's not gonna be easy and certainly we'll see i am curious how much the home field advantage is an advantage in these and we'll need multiple seasons to really, you know, get a field statistically sure. for, for what that looks like. But I am curious, you know, how much that does factor in there. And you certainly make a good point there, but I'm going to roll with the Mariners uh, to get past Toronto in this wild card uh, matchup. Mitch, the other wild card matchup in the AL, we've got the uh, six seed Tampa Bay Rays final wild card team there, 86 and 75 on the season. And they'll be at the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, they won the AL Central. They'll host these three games. 92 and 70 on the season for the Guardians. Are, that's a pretty solid record. 92 and 70 uh, for Cleveland in the uh, NL Central. Really a disappointing year for uh, the White Sox. I know we were both pretty high on the White Sox and, and their potential there, but Cleveland uh, gets it done there in the AL Central pretty handily. But they got a tricky matchup here with an experienced race team. It's looked a little different over the last couple of seasons, but still this is an organization that is uh, used to being in the postseason. It's been to the world series, uh, knows what it takes to get it done. Where are you leaning here? Yeah. I mean, let's not forget Tampa Bay is only two years removed from being in uh, a world series situation themselves. So like this is a team that's done it before. They've retained a lot of that talent from that 2020 season. Granted, it was the shortened season, but still a talented team nonetheless. But I do like your point about the Guardians being an experienced team. It may not be the same team we saw from previous years, but they have a lot of postseason experience in that roster. I think I like the Guardians here in three. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to roll with the Guardians as well, Mitch. Uh, Yeah, I just feel like. I mean, they had a great close to their season as well. Won seven of the last three. Uh, so coming in hot, you know, towards the end of the season, uh, you know, Jose Ramirez, 126 RBIs, 29 homers this season. He's He's been a star for them. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, I think in this three-game three, three game matchup in Cleveland, I think uh, Guardians will, will be all right, get it done here. Let's jump over to the NL, Mitch. Uh, the first matchup. Uh, here, this is the game that will feed into the Dodgers at the number one seed. So the four five matchup, we've got the four seed top wild card team in the NL, the New York Mets, who uh, just missed out on winning the NL East by game one hundred and sixty one on the season right now because they're they haven't played their final game yet as we're recording this, but they will not win the division. So they'll be the top 
wildcard team, and they'll be hosting three games against the San Diego Padres, uh, who right now are 89 and 72 with one game remaining. A solid season for the Padres. Disappointing, though, uh, with what they expected. Uh, slower start, but they turned it on, you know, late to, to securely get into this playoff race. But man, this Mets team is a hundred win Mets team. So can you even roll with the Padres here? This is a tough one. What are you thinking? I mean, if they don't make the divisional, at least this is a disappointment for the Mets. I think that, yeah. <laughs> that, that this will be the toughest place to play in the NL. The New York fans are fired up for the Mets right now. Um, they've got the most, they've got the more complete team, I think over the Padres right now, yep. they may not be star laden like the Padres are, but they have the more complete team. I like, uh, I like the Mets to get this one done in a sweep two zero. Yeah. I'm rolling with the Mets too, Mitch. Uh, I'm right there with you. Tough place to play. We're talking about uh home field advantage. And when that closer comes out with that song pumping, man, uh, I mean, what can you do? What can you do? So that's uh that, that is definitely a tough. Uh, scenario there for the Padres. We'll see uh, how that series plays out. Final one there in the NL, Mitch. This is the 6-3 matchup. This will feed into the Atlanta Braves. Uh, this is the six-seed Philadelphia Phillies, which we were wrong. We had the Brewers getting in, but it was the Phillies who were able to get in as a final, final wild card team. 87-75 and 75, uh, on the season, just beat out the Milwaukee Brewers by a game. Uh, but they will go to St. Louis, take on the Cardinals, won the NL Central 93 and 69 on the season for St. Louis. Solid season for the Cardinals hosting the Phillies. Uh, I like this matchup. I think this might actually be kind of, you know, competitive here. Definitely three games. But I, I'll, I'll go first on this. One. I'm going to go with the Cardinals here, though. I, I, I think this Phillies team is a little maybe flash in the pan. They kind of got lucky surviving, getting in here. But I'm not feeling any promise on them as far as the postseason goes. So I'm going to roll with the Cardinals to get it done here. Yeah, I kind of like this Phillies team. They're scrappy. Um, they they fought through some adversity. Yeah, they they got their way into a final wild card spot. But I'm rolling with the three that we grew up with, Dallin, to get it done one more time. Wainwright, Molina, Pujols, get it done <laughs> one more time. As a as a group, as a threesome, give me the cards. This one, I think, in a really tightly contested uh, series, I, I think it's yep. going to go three. I think it'll go three. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree there. I think it's a three game series there between Philly and St. Louis, Mitch. All right. Well, that's uh, very excited for the MLB postseason. Should be a fun one. Excited for this new format. See how it goes. Uh, and just excited that more fans get to be excited come postseason time. Right. There are two more fan bases that get to be invested into the MLB postseason more so than they were in any season before, because there's extra teams in the postseason, And that is a good decision by the MLB. And I hope it's well-received. I hope the format goes well this first time around. Uh, Mitch, we've got to wrap up the news with a NASCAR update for the folks. We were at Talladega last week. We were, we were at Talladega last week. And uh, I got to tell you of this next gen car, Era, this new next gen car era, the cleanest race I've seen run uh, okay. so far. And for that, for that to come at a super speedway is saying a ton because what do we see in the first two Daytona races this year? Wreckfest. What did we see at Talladega earlier in the spring? Wreckfest. 
We had 33 of the 37 starters finish the race running. We only had four DNFs in the entire field. Um, wow. This was actually a clean race. They 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 kind of are starting to figure out how this car is going to react in the draft at super high speeds on these super speedways. Chase Elliott gets the win. Ryan Blaney second. Michael McDowell, a a, a great uh, super speedway racer himself, uh, himself a former Daytona 500 winner, comes home third. Uh, Ross Chastain, Denny Hamlin round out your top five. Then it's Eric Jones, Todd Gilliland, Daniel Suarez, Austin Cendrick, and Chase Briscoe round out your top ten. Like I said, a great clean race. 57 lead changes in this race, which is um, a lot by any other track standards, but by super speedway standards, pretty pretty standard. You're pack racing. You're going to have a lot of lead changes. But Chase Elliott gets it done. Um, and as we head into the final race before the cutoff, uh, for the round of eight, we're looking at uh, Elliott still in that points lead. Blaney, Chastain, Hamlin, Logano in your top five. Larson, Suarez, Briscoe rounds out that top eight. So guys on that cut line right now are Cindric, Byron, Bill, and then Bowman, who is actually out right now um, with concussion-like syndrome uh, symptoms. So um, probably not going to make that cut. Um, but we, when we look at guys like William Byron, who just suffered the big penalty from the week before was 17 points, the good. Now he's eight right. points back. Now he's 11 points back. It's a, it's, it, it, it shows that that, that penalty and that lack of judgment is really going to p- play a factor in whether you're moving on to the next round. Um, I think the most intriguing part of this race that we're going to see though, is probably Suarez to Byron Suarez falls off in this next race and Byron finishes really well, that can flop it. But the 8-9 spot right now is tied. Chase wow. Briscoe, okay. zero points to the good. Austin Sindrick, zero points behind the line. So we actually have a theoretical tie for that last spot right now, going into another wild card spot, the Charlotte Roval, a road course at Charlotte, mm. um, another wild card race where – a lot of different things can happen. So this is good. Yeah. This, this cutoff for the round of eight is going to get really exciting. Love it. I love how that's uh, building up to this, uh, to this race next week. Uh, tied at the line at the cutoff line there. Road course coming up. Uh, you'll love to see it, Mitch. Great stuff with the NASCAR update. Let's jump into the campus tour. Uh, great week of college football. And let's start our week five recap with, a potential monumental upset scare. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs holding on to win on the road against Missouri, Mitch, 26 to 22. The dogs, man, they, they, they certainly made this more interesting than they needed to. Uh, Missouri led this game 22 to 12 after scoring a field goal with 14 minutes left in the game. Georgia went down to score two touchdowns in the next 10 minutes uh, to get the lead and, and, and not, not suffer a monumental loss to what is a, a not good Missouri Tigers team, but uh, Georgia surviving this scare. Uh, it did penalize them in the polls. We'll get to that a little bit later, but they didn't win or say they didn't lose, but uh, having a close call sort of perceived as a loss in that regard. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you're the number one team in the country. You can't come that close to losing to Missouri. You just you just can't. And so like we'll get into the pet, you know, 
to what actually happened to them in the rankings. But um, that clearly is going to to set them back. And, and, you know, it has a lot to do with not only did you cut it that close against Missouri, but the guys behind you actually got something done against the top 25 teams. Right. So, like, yep. that that's going to have a big influence over the rankings. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. SEC uh, and other news. There was a, a big time match of last week between Kentucky and Ole Miss. It was one of the games that we uh, picked in our, our games to watch. And we'll get to those later. But uh, Ole Miss with a statement win over Kentucky, uh, 22 to 19. And uh, the Rebels pretty much led this thing uh, for the most part. Second quarter, they're up 19 to six. Uh, Kentucky able to get a touchdown before the half. They actually tied it in the third quarter at 19. Ole Miss goes back up with a field goal, holds it from there. It was a sloppy game from Will Levis. Uh, pretty accurate with the ball. Passing-wise, it was fine, but two two lost fumbles on the day, uh, which is obviously not good. And uh, Ole Miss able to get it done. This SEC, Mitch, has been interesting uh this season a lot of teams sort of making appearances at the top showing to be competitive and then sort of dropping off a bit we've seen uh, a number of teams make that move now Ole Miss seems like the next team that's like oh how good are they you know big win over Kentucky yeah I, I I think this was a big more of a statement win for Mississippi than it was a statement loss for Kentucky I'm not worried about Kentucky yep. I think yeah, they're a very good team. I also think that Ms., that uh, Ole Miss is a very good team. So um, I think this is just a solid SEC matchup, and I'm not really worried about Kentucky. I think that they're going to hang around, and they're going to get into one of those big bowl games by the end of the year. I think that they're not going anywhere. Um, but great win for Ole Miss. I think that they really proved that they belong to be uh, competing in that top ten. Absolutely. Uh, definitely agree with you there, Mitch. Uh, ACC, big matchup between Clemson, number five, and NC State, number 10. And the Tigers got it done 30 to 20 at home. Uh, not Never particularly close. This was an impressive performance on the defense for Clemson, in my opinion. I thought DJ Uyunglele was pretty good in this game, and he has certainly turned the narrative on him this season, you know, he is draft eligible. He is a junior this year. Uh, and, you know, after uh, with, with with anticipation last season, he was projected as one of those guys we would be talking about at this point. But then disappointment in 2021 sort of dropped him off the board completely. Now the draft buzz is starting to build again for him, perhaps this year, if not definitely in the 2024 draft. But uh, Uyunga Lale had three touchdowns, two on the ground, one through the air. Uh, but again, this Clemson defense, Mitch, is just one of the best in the country. It's why they're ranked in the top five. It really stifled this NC State offense. Two turnovers for the Wolf Pack. Devin Leary uh, really struggling through the ground. Had to throw the ball 47 times because they got nothing going on the ground. Uh, th- this is just a tough test for an NC State team. I still think it's really good. But, man, I think I, I, I uh, underestimated just how impactful this Clemson defense is. Yeah, I, I well, I think what everyone's mind goes to is the offense, right? Because we saw how, op, how how prolific the offense was, like up until 2020, 2019. We 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 saw how prolific that Clemson offense was, and so like we kind of forget how good the defense is, and the the defense is really really solid. The, maybe not a team that's necessarily known for the defense, um, but 
you know, kind of just solidifies the fact that they they are the best team in the ACC. NC State's going to be a contender, but like Clemson's definitely the road you have to go through. You have to go through there. A hundred percent. And this was sort of that test, that one game that felt like if there was anyone that had a shot to really mock them off there, just getting into that top 10 with NC State felt like that was the the team. Uh, but like I said, it didn't happen. So uh, Clemson at the top of the ACC for now. Uh, Mitch, another note here on the Big Ten uh, and the Big Ten West specifically. So you may not be familiar with Big Ten divisions. So the Big Ten East, uh, those are all the teams we know that are really good. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, you know, all those teams are in the Big Ten East. Those are the ones uh, that are always really good. But the Big Ten West is always just a little interesting. Feels like the last couple of seasons, it's like one team that sort of is maybe good from that conference. Wisconsin, pretty consistent. Iowa, you know, Northwestern, Minnesota, those are some of the teams in that division. But uh, this Big Ten West this year sucks. They are really bad. And there's not a single good team here. And I don't know, whoever gets out of the East is probably going to have a cakewalk in their conference championship game. Because right now, through just two games of conference play, uh, every team in the in the Big Ten West, all seven of them, except for one, are one and one. Uh, the only team that doesn't have a division uh, conference win so far is the Wisconsin Badgers, who are 0-2, 2-3 two, two on the season. A big disappointment there. We'll talk about them in just a second. Uh, but every other team is 1-1, one one, including, Mitch, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, who fired their head coach earlier this season. Oh, and also Northwestern, who's 1-4. What is this, Mitch? What is this? This this is awful. I honestly... I. I did some searching around to see if I could find a conference that was worse. And I, I can't, I can't. The big 10 West is absolutely God awful. Look, I think, I think they have competitive teams there. Illinois you know, has been competitive against, you know, whoever they've been matched up against. Minnesota was a top 25 team just last week. Um, yeah. Purdue has, has shown to be a, a competitive team, but we yeah, have, when you break down like conference play and you look at who's at the top right now, I'll say this. They suck, but I think it's a little bit deceiving. I I think that we're not going to be looking at Northwestern and Nebraska at the top of the Big Ten West <laughs> in two weeks. Okay, I hope I, so. I, this is not gonna. This is not going to stay the norm. But on paper, right now, yeah, it looks really, really bad that you have two four and one teams that are fourth and fifth in this uh, in this division within their conference. Like it, it, it looks really bad on the conference, and yeah, it, it may speak to how much they suck, but I don't think this is going to be the norm. When you juxtapose it with the Big Ten East that has three teams in the top ten of the AP poll on the other side, you look yeah, at this sure. and you're like, whoever comes out of that side of the division for the conference championship is going to be a 20 point favorite in the game. You know, like it just doesn't even seem like it's going to be close. So again, we'll see how this plays out, but yeah, certainly uh, I thought that was interesting uh, this week, Mitch, two little news things. We've talked about coach firings every week because it's happened this week, double down a pair of them. First Colorado moving on from head coach, Carl Durrell, eight and 15 and, uh, a season and change there with the Colorado Buffs. Man, uh, th- this was just a weird hire when Mel Tucker dipped out of nowhere to take the Michigan State job. Uh, obviously did not work out. Colorado has been awful this season, like really, really bad. Uh, that one, not at, not very surprising. What was surprising, though, Mitch, was Wisconsin. Speaking of the Badgers, 
They fired longtime head coach Paul Christ eight seasons uh, in Madison, 67 and 26 record. He's third all time in wins. He's third all time in program history and wins, Mitch. The guy who's number two is the guy who just beat him last week that led him to be fired from his job. Uh, talk about preserving your legacy. Uh, knock that guy off. Get him out of the job so he can't pass you on the all-time list. Incredible. But uh, that Wisconsin one definitely caught me off guard there. That feels like a panic move if I've ever seen one. And I know he's been around for a while. Perhaps you want a culture change. That's all fine. Wait till the end of the season. Why are you doing this four or five games into the season, Wisconsin? You're not 0-5. You know, like, I understand it hasn't been great, but the timing of this just felt very, very weird. I mean, you could win five games, be eight and three at the end of the year. You know, like, yeah, why are, yeah. why are, why and, are you doing and that now? playing in the Big Ten Championship with a shot at going to the Rose Bowl. You and know a, what I mean? A guy with a 76 and 26 record. I mean, this guy is like, he's won for you guys. Yeah. And like, it, it just, like, maybe, you know, yeah, you weren't a top 10 team. You weren't a national championship contender. But like, this guy was getting the job done. Ah, I'm with you. The the, the yeah. Paul Chris the firing was weird. The Carl Doral thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, the guy sucked. I mean, Colorado sucks. He sucks. Yeah. Like, that it's one makes not sense. not good. But. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen, Wisconsin's two and three in the season. They have two wins over New Mexico State and Illinois State. Okay, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You should beat those teams. And then they lost, ranked to uh, to Washington State, uh, got blown out by Ohio State, and got blown out by Wisconsin. So I understand that there's not a lot of excitement around what's going on right now. And they weren't necessarily great last season either. But again, I mean, five games into the season, we're going to fire this guy eight seasons into his tenure, uh, third all time in our wins. Like that is that's a desperate move. I've ever seen one that usually doesn't pay off for the program. Disappointing to see for uh, what has been one of the most stable programs in the last decade. Honestly, Wisconsin has been like you could pencil them in for eight, eight, nine wins every year. You know, it just felt like you could always do that with them. And uh, for the, for a program like that to do this sort of move, certainly surprising there. Uh, Mitch, you have our uh, superlatives categories upset of the week this week. Uh, I'm going to go with Georgia Tech over Pitt. This was an easy one for me, Mitch, because Georgia Tech, having just moved on from their head coach uh, to upset the number 24 ranked Pitt Panthers on the road, 26 to 21. Incredible resilience from a team that had all the reason to be down uh, in that situation. So uh, really cool for the interim head coach to get a win there. Uh, we see it every year, right? Like every season this happens. Somebody gets fired and the next week that team goes and wins a game uh, on the heels of that. And this year it was Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah, that was just, that was a big win. And I think it says a lot about what Kenny Pickett meant to Pitt and how much that he kept that program going and moving forward. Pitt is just one of those lost teams, man. Like they... Yeah, they yeah. they flirted around with the top 25 the whole, you know, the majority of the year, the whole year, really. But like, man, they just cannot seem to find any sort of stability offensively. Um, and it and it shows with the absence of Kenny Pickett. So, you know, Pitt, definitely a, a, a team that I think is going to be probably getting votes for a long time. But I wouldn't expect them to be back in the top 25 and a good win for Georgia Tech. Dion, take the job there already. Come on. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, what was your upset of the week? 
Uh, my upset of the week was unranked TCU over number 18, the Oklahoma Sooners, getting it done yeah. 55-24. Uh, Dylan Gabriel was awful. Davis Bevel was awful. I have a lot of questions about whether Oklahoma should even like I like you say it all the time to me off air. It's a brand, right? Oklahoma is a brand. And right now we're looking at a brand that is getting overrated and it's it's time that we dump all of that. I'm speaking to college football fans (laughs) and and the college football world as a whole. We dump the brands. The best teams are the best teams. TCU was fantastic and has been very, very good this entire year. Max Duggan looked like a a top five NFL quarterback prospect once again. Um, he's done it multiple times this year, and uh, it was it was just an absolute shellacking. We need to be really looking at, you know, let's not just put these teams in the top twenty five based off the brand. Let's look at actually where the best teams are, and yeah, be, because week in and week out we see them losing and losing right. big. Right. And being ranked when they have no reason to be ranked. I mean, just remember, guys, lest we forget that Notre Dame started the season as a top five team. They still received votes in the coaches poll this week. They're two and two. They're two and two. They beat Cal in North Carolina, you know, and they're receiving votes. Yeah. I mean, again, but because it's Notre Dame, someone's going to vote for him because it's Oklahoma or Texas. Or USC or, you know, insert your traditional blue blood, they'll get votes. So, yes. Uh, but big win for TCU. Yeah, absolutely big win uh, for the Horned Frogs there. Yeah, Dallin, speaking of upsets, that leads us into our college football trivia question of the week. Dallin, are you ready? So ready. Let's go. All right. Well, we got a uh, we got a matchup this week. Washington State and the Southern California take on USC, right? That's going to be a pretty big matchup. Wazoo's look pretty good. USC offense has been stellar. Still some question marks on the defense, but we love what Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams have been doing over there. Dallin, the last time Wazoo upset USC was in 2017 when the number 16 Cougars beat the number five Trojans 30 to 27 in Pullman. Name the two starting quarterbacks for that game. Hmm. I feel pretty confident about this if I have my years right. It should be future number two overall, three overall pick Sam Darnold for the USC mm-hmm. Trojans. Okay. And if I remember right, he should be playing future sixth round pick legend. May or may not have been in the movie Napoleon Dynamite Gardner Minshew. Am I right there? Oh, Dallin. Oh, I was so confident we were going to get this. Oh, oh no. Man. Uh, so you are right with the Sam Darnold. Dallin, the Washington The years State, are wrong. The Washington State quarterback was Luke Falk. Oh, it was Falk. Dang it. Uh, Minshew must have been the next year. Dang I think it. he was. Man. Oh, it was Falk so was a good. One. I felt so good about that one. Oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> New York Jets. Great- 
No. It's a great pull. That's a great that's a great one. Yeah, Luke Falk, man. Oh, all man. those Wazoo quarterbacks just put up points. It's crazy to see. You know, they just all <laughs> with my Mike Well, they Leach, run that like five you know, wide formation yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Leach, you know, at the time in Wazoo. Now, you know, different uh a lot of a lot of the same themes there for the Cougars offense. But uh yeah, there you go. Great. That was great, Mitch. That was right. well, well done. Uh, player of the week this week. I'll let you go here because this ties in for, with your upset of the week. I think you just brought this guy up. Yeah, Max Duggan was absolutely fantastic this week. And Max Duggan, quarterback, TCU, uh, 23 for 33, 302, three touchdowns against Oklahoma. Um, the guy's stats on the year right now are absolutely bananas. Almost 1,000 yards passing, 11 touchdowns, no picks with a QBR of 90.7. Um has clearly been one of the pleasant surprises um, of college football this year, especially at the quarterback position. Max Duggan has been absolutely fantastic. And for him to get it done against uh, Oklahoma uh, the way that he did also let's, let's, you know, let's not forget the fact that he, the Duke can run the ball a little bit. He broke that big run off there in the middle of the game. Max Duggan is, is slowly, I think climbing the, the, the uh, the draft boards uh, as far as NFL ready caliber quarterbacks. Yeah, I like it. He's certainly be impressive in that TCU team. Uh, I mean, new head coach, right? They they move on from Gary Patterson, the longtime head coach there at TCU, helped bring them into the Big Twelve. Sonny Dykes comes over from SMU, uh, and they're five and zero to start the season, right? I mean, that's really impressive. And what could have been expected to be a down year for them. I think there's a lot of talent on that team, but you know, if they won four or five games in the big 12 people, you know, I think you would have been uh, understandable there, but they've started five and oh, a uh, large part to that quarterback. So great pull there, Mitch, my player of the week. I'm going to shout out a cornerback, a defensive player here, Clark Phillips, the third cornerback mm. for the Utah Utes. They had a big win over Oregon state. Uh, Oregon state had that disappointing loss to USC. They go to salt Lake and get walloped 42 to 16. But Clark Phillips had three interceptions in the game, Mitch, including a pick six. Uh, Clark Phillips is one of those names that we'll probably be talking about in our names to know before the NFL draft in the, in the coming weeks and months here. He's a, a cornerback prospect uh, for the Utes, a junior third season there. Uh, he's actually the highest a rec- rated recruit Utah has ever signed uh, in their recruiting history when he when he committed a few years ago uh, and has turned into a really, really good college football player. Big week last week, again, with three interceptions. He's got four on the season. Uh, he's like a late first kind of prospect right now, maybe early second, depending on where you look at him. 5'10", 183, so a little smaller, but he plays with a big dog mentality. Uh, doesn't look small when he plays. Uh, and uh, so that certainly is going to help him out there. But yeah, big, big week for Clark Phillips. Had to, we always talk about offense in this one. So I, you know, I wanted to shout out a defensive player who, who did, who had a great game. Defensive defense wins championships. And you got to yeah. love a guy that plays bigger than he actually is. Got to yes. love. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I like, when I see that, I'm like that. Yep. Check the box. Right. That is just, that's a good sign. You always love that. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Mitch, best moment or best play of the week for you? I know it was all over Twitter. Uh, JVN Lofton, wide receiver from Liberty, with the one-handed catch against Old Dominion. Did you see that grab that he made? Yes, yes. Back in the end zone, top hand, going or backhand going over the top, and just, I mean, 
this is kind of stuff OBJ makes in his sleep, but like prime OBJ, excuse me, not not now OBJ, but prime OBJ makes in his sleep. I mean, this was just this might be catch of the year. Like I think when we all look at the when we look at catch of the year at the end of the year, you know, when the college football season is yeah. all said and done, JV and Lofton might have catch of the year. This was one of the best catches I've ever seen in my life. I mean, electric. Yeah. Electric. I love that, Mitch. I love shouting out uh, Liberty and Old Dominion here. I got a little sunbelt for you as well. You had Old Dominion in there. I got my, my mo- best moment to play, Coastal Carolina's C.J. Beasley hurtling a defender on the way to the game-winning touchdown over Georgia Southern. Uh, under a minute left, the Chanticleers are down three. C.J. Beasley runs it in from 24 yards, and at about the sixth-yard line, he hurdles the safety uh, to get into the end zone uh, in what is an incredible way play for a game-winning touchdown. I thought that was awesome uh, and, a, and a great way to end that game. So, uh, shouts out Coastal Carolina, 5-0 and to start this season. I was say, uh, they, forced they, to be reckoned with in the Sun Belt. I was going to say, that team started off pretty solid. They just 5-0, yeah, man. Yeah, they've been uh, they they are impressive as always. Jimmy Chatwell and what he does uh, there. I mean, he is speaking of head coaching gigs and opportunity. He's certainly one of those young, hot names in coaching that uh, you have to watch. Someone's going to make a move for him one of these days. Uh, It'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Mitch, AP poll top 25 reaction. So we alluded to some of this. We'll jump through this quickly. But uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide jumping Georgia for number one status after Georgia had their scare against uh, the Missouri Tigers. So Alabama back up to number one. Barely, though. We're talking literally two points. 1,523 points for Alabama. 1,521 points for Georgia. Georgia still had more first place votes than the Crimson Tide. But Alabama retaining or getting up to that number one ranking there. Uh, Ole Miss and Penn State are the two new teams joining the top ten this week at number nine and ten, respectively. Uh, Mitch, that. Uh, Ole Miss entering the top 10 marks the seventh SEC team to be ranked in the AP top 10 so far this season. That's that's nuts. Seven different SEC teams. The next closest conference has three. Uh, so that just goes to show I it just felt like I, I had to look that up today because I was like every SEC every week. It's like a new SEC team up here, bro. Like, what is this? Uh, this week, second Ole closest, Miss. second closest Big 12. Big Big 12 has had three, Oklahoma, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. Uh, Big 10 has had three, Ohio State, Michigan, and now Penn State. Uh, ACC has had Clemson, NC State. Pac-12 has had Utah and USC. So okay. Uh, so there you go. That's as far as the power. That's that's as far as Power Five goes. Notre Dame's the only other team that has been in the top 10, not in in one of those conferences. And we won't uh, see them again. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, not anytime soon. That's uh, for dang sure. Uh, Midge. Outside of the top 10, uh, I thought this is really interesting. You look at the rankings. So, uh, again, top 10, all undefeated teams, you know, when, uh, you know, no losses on the resume. And then you get to the AP poll 11 through 16, and you have in this order Utah, Oregon, Kentucky, North Carolina State, Wake Forest, and BYU. And all six of those teams are 4-1, and one. all really good teams. Some of those teams have even been in the top 10 already this year. Uh, but just have one loss on the season that's holding them back. One good loss, right? It's it's one good loss on the season that's holding them outside of that top 10 range. 
And then after that, you have, you know, some some undefeated teams again that are new to the top 25. But I just thought that block of six team thing, six teams there again, Utah, Oregon, Kentucky, NC State, Wake Forest, BYU. I just think that's an interesting grouping there right outside of the top 10. Yeah, a very interesting grouping. And like you said, all good losses. Like they didn't lose to anything yep. egregious. I, I We were talking before we started recording, giving me serious 2007 vibes like. Mm. Like this is going to be a really fun season to watch. And we're going to see some teams emerge that we're not expecting. Um, and some really good teams are going to be left in that 11 to 16 range because they have that one loss and, you know, maybe didn't make the run that they were supposed to. We look at actually the rankings right now, seven unranked teams last week, now in the top 25 uh, yeah. TCU being the highest at number 17, right outside of that 11 right. to 16 block. This is, uh, I mean, we had, yeah, so five teams outside of the top 20 or upset a team inside of the top 25 this week. UCLA upset Washington, who was 15th. TCU upset number 18, Oklahoma. Purdue upset number 21, Minnesota. Mississippi State upset number 17, Texas A&M. And Georgia Tech upset number 24, Pitt. Um, but I think the most exciting stat that I found out of this with the new rankings is the newly ranked number 22 Syracuse Orange. First time that we've seen Syracuse ranked in the top 25 since 2019. In fact, I forgot they finished inside the top 25 in 2019. Um, really? Yeah. Had no idea. Finished like 18th or something like that. Like what? Yeah. Weird. Wow. Right? Weird. They are on a bye week this week, but if NC State wins and remains ranked inside the top 25 next week, it'll be the first time that Syracuse has played a ranked opponent at home while also being ranked inside the top 25 since 2001. So this will be this will be a big moment for them if NC State wins this week. And they go into next week playing a top 25 ranked NC State team. So some there really, 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 really cool stuff that could be happening in the next couple of weeks as far as these new, te- new these new ranked teams are concerned. Yeah, over 20 years uh, between ranked matchups for Syracuse at home. We'll see if uh, the Wolfpack can get it done to set that up. Uh, here next week. And uh, Mitch, you brought up 2007 vibes. One of those teams uh, that moved into the top 25 and all the way up into the top 20 is Kansas. And they were one of those teams from that 07 season. Uh, they were a top three remember, team at one point. You know? yeah. And uh, here they are at number 19. They're hosting college game day this week in Lawrence with that matchup with number 17 TCU that we'll talk about here in just a second. But God, uh, man, what a story the Jayhawks have been this season. Uh, Lance Leopold, their head coach, speaking of head coaches getting new jobs, I mean, he is a Wisconsin native. He's got a lot of ties to the Badgers. I am sure after the start that he's put on Kansas, he will be interviewed in that process, and they may be looking at him heavily, but uh, they've been one of those great uh, stories there. Again, a lot of lot of teams making that jump. Uh, one group of five team ranked that Cincinnati back into the top 25 at number 24. Uh, the next closest team receiving votes? James Madison, Mitch. Let's go. This is their first season at this level of football. It's literally their first season at the FBS level, and they are 30th. If you include receiving votes, they're 30th right now. Uh, I mean, they're like on the cusp of the top 25. That is literally insane to think about. Just if you nuts. want, to, if you want to bring up 2007 vibes, UCF. 
was right, one of those yeah. teams in 2007 that was really, really good. And yeah. they did not, they were not far out of the top 25 for those first like five, six years in, in FBS football. James Madison right now framing themselves up to be the next UCF and probably the better UCF. I mean, this team I has like been that. playing fantastic yeah. so far. Now, we got to see what how they handle the tests, right? Sure. Like the tests are going to be coming. But right. James Madison so far, incredibly impressive. Ranked right yeah. now, I believe that would stack up to 30th in the country. Yep. So, I mean, fantastic performance from JMU. Love to see it. Love to see it. Mitch, our games to watch this week, our picks this week, to recap uh, last week's games, man. Uh, Mitch, Mitch had a great week. I did not. Mitch, you went, you got five points last week, including your lock. So well done there. Five points for Mitch, and I got zero as I did not get my lock. Uh, and was able to not get negative, luckily, but I gained zero points, so I stay at 10. Mitch goes from 8 to 13, and Mitch, you were down two points last week. Now you are up three. I mean, what an incredible swing here. Great swing. Uh, I'm all about it. I know that you may not feel <laughs> the same way, but I am all about the swing. I, I love this points format that we got because it really is going to challenge us to make sure that we feel super confident in our locks, so... And we got some we got some really, really good games this week um, that we can make our picks on. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll start uh, with an SEC matchup here. Top 25. We've got number eight, Tennessee, Hendon, Hooker and the Vols traveling to Death Valley to take on uh, creepy ass Brian Kelly standing directly behind his players. (laughs) Number 25, LSU. Uh, the Vols are favored on the road, minus three in this game, over under 65. That's according to ESPN and their odds. Mitch, this Tennessee team has been impressive. 4-0 start. Hendon Hooker has been impressive. Probably no Cedric Tillman in this game. That's the top wide receiver. That's certainly going to help. LSU been one of the surprises. They've now snuck into the top 25 here after a 4-1 start. I'll let you go here first. Uh, where where, where are you picking in this game? Well, history lesson. Last time LSU lost to Tennessee, September 26th, 2005. Wow. Do you remember who the starting quarterback was at LSU, Dallin, for a bonus point to redeem yourself? 2005, was it Jamarcus Russell? It was Jamarcus Russell. He went 14 for 28 with a pick. Sounds Look, about right. I it it goes against everything that I stand for as an Alabama fan, but I love this Tennessee team. Lock me in at Tennessee minus three over LSU. I think this is the easiest lock to take. LSU's great. Tennessee is just, in my mind, a lot better than what LSU is right now. I like Tennessee as my lock this week. Okay, yeah, lock in the Vols. I love that, Mitch. This is a line that makes me want to lock it. Uh, I mean, the road thing, that's a little tough. And Death Valley, not the easiest place that's to play. That's a tough play. place to play, yeah. Tough place to play. But I'm going to roll with Tennessee as well on this one. I'm not going to lock the Vols, but I will pick uh, Tennessee to win this game. Hendon Hooker, I'm very impressed with him. He is rising in this NFL draft uh, process. Uh, Right now, I think, you know, outside of the potential of an Anthony Richardson or how you feel about Tyler Van Dyke outside of those top three of Stroud, Young and Levis, 
uh, Hendon Hooker is sort of viewed by a lot of people as that next guy, or at least certainly in that mix to be that next guy uh, available with his performance last season and continuing into this one. So I'm going with the Vols as well here on the road. Uh, again, Tennessee at LSU. Tennessee favored minus three. Mitch locks the line there. Let's go to the Pac-12, where number 11, Utah, will be traveling to the Rose Bowl to take on number 18, UCLA. The Bruins moving into the top 25 this week after their upset win over Washington. The Utes are favored on the road in this one, minus three and a half, over under 64 and a half in this game. I'm going to pick first here, Mitch. This Utes team think that was a very impressive win last uh, last week against Oregon State. Obviously, they had a disappointing season opener with the loss to Florida. Didn't really have much challenges after that. Didn't really glean a lot from the games that they played uh, until last week's win over Oregon State, which uh, was extremely imp- impressive. 42-16. The offense looks good. The defense looks much improved. Uh, they, they can't run the ball great. Cam Rising is a very capable quarterback a very good college quarterback uh they've had some injuries on that side that make it str- uh that make it seem like they might struggle and this UCLA team is very good with Dorian Thompson Robinson and Jack and Zach Charbonnet leading the way but I'm gonna go with the Utes I'm picking Utah in this game Mitch because they have a big time matchup in Salt Lake City next week against the Trojans that I do not think they will be overlooking this game uh, in anticipation of that opportunity next week. So I'm going to take Utah in this game, Mitch. And I, and it feels weird as somebody who, you know, roots for and covers BYU. I'm locking Utah in this mm. one minus three and a half. Uh, I think the Utes will get it done and they'll get it done by at least a touchdown. I like that lock a lot. And it makes a ton of sense. The line is right. They're playing UCLA, UCLA brand new to the top 25, a team that is seemingly outperformed what they've done so far this year. We don't trust them. We don't, don't trust, trust them. Kelly. I think Utah is going to be a 10 and two, nine and three team, right? I think a top 25 team in that 10 and two, nine and three range. And there's two games on this list that I think that they can lose next week to USC. And then later down the road to Oregon, I yep. think they can lose those two games. I don't think this is one of them. Give me Utah in this game. And you know what? If I could lock a second, I would lock Utah in this one as well. I can't lock a second, but I will take Utah in this game over UCLA. No, you can't lock two, uh, but it is a good one. Uh, you know, the thing with UCLA, Mitch, again, number 18. And, and as you said, with that upset last week, they jump into the top 25, but they're five and oh, these are their wins, Mitch. Bowling Green, Alabama State, South Alabama and Colorado. who We just talked about because they fired their head coach. Right. And then they beat Washington last week uh, at home, 40 to 32. And that's basically the only good win they have this season at all. It's the only notable thing they've done this year at all. So we know very little about how good this UCLA team is. Certainly a very big test coming into town with Utah, Mitch. And speaking of big test, Big 12 college game day matchup, TCU number 17 at Kansas, number 19, uh, top 25 matchup here. Uh, in Lawrence, TCU, though, favored minus six and a half in this game. On the road, pretty surprising there to me. Minus 68 or over under is set at 68 and a half in this one. Horn Frogs favored by almost a touchdown on the road. You just talked them up. You talked up Duggan. 
Are you rolling with uh, TCU in this one on the road? You look at the you look at the path that these two teams have had to undefeated records. KU has not had the 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 most difficult path to their undefeated record right now. Close win over Iowa State last week. TCU has beat some good teams. Max Duggan is the truth. As much as I love this Kansas team, they're not going to go undefeated. They might as well lose somewhere. Give me TCU over Kansas to get it done. I, I, I Part of me wants to take the home dog. Like, I want to take the home dog just, just for the sake of being right, but I can't do it with this one. TCU, I think, is a better team than Kansas. Uh, both tw- top 25 worthy, but I, I got to take the Horn Frogs in this one. Yeah, this should be a great game. Uh, I didn't want to touch this line at all as far as the lock goes, just because no, that big no, of a no. number for the road team. I just hate that. Uh, I don't like picking Kansas against that. I don't like picking TCU for that. Uh, I am rolling with the Jayhawks, though. Rock chalk here. I'm rolling with Jalen Daniels, uh, that quarterback, and Lance Leopold in this team, Mitch. I think the Jayhawks are legit. I think they're here to make some noise. Uh, in the Big 12 and and TCU, this is an opportunity for a big statement win here early in the season for Kansas. So I'm taking Kansas as the home dogs here, minus six and a half. It's all good. We're rolling with uh, the Jayhawks, Mitch. That there leads us to our final game, a Big Ten matchup, an unranked Big Ten matchup, but a notable one nonetheless. We talked about the Big Ten West earlier and how bad that division is. Well, Purdue, one of those teams potentially competing there in that division, is going to be playing a uh, Big Ten matchup at Maryland. Uh, the Terrapins, led by Tamalia Tungavailoa, brother of Tua. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, the quarterback for Purdue. Impressive so far this season. Has had a, lot, a rough couple games uh, against some tough opponents, but still one of those good college quarterbacks there. So a, a sneaky good matchup here. Maryland favored minus three at home, over under set at 58 and a half. Mitch, where are you leaning in this one? This is a true coin flip. I think that they've each played some, they've had some wins this year that were impressive against, I think, better programs. Um, But I'm actually going to look at a loss that's going to influence me like this. Maryland played Michigan, a top four team in the country, exceptionally tough, right? Yeah. Lost 34-27. They beat SMU. They beat Chattanooga. Um they beat Buffalo earlier this year, and then they just come off the win over Michigan State. I'm going to take Maryland. I think Maryland okay. over Purdue is going to be who I'm going to roll with here. I like it, Mitch. You know, listen, I'm a big fan of uh, Tango Vailoa. Uh, he was one of my quarterbacks to watch this season, and I think he's definitely been watchable uh, for the Terrapins this season. He's been impressive at times, doing much of what we've seen in the past 75% completion percentage. Uh, eight touchdowns, four picks, uh, being efficient with the ball. It's what he does, what Tua did. Uh, you love that. But this Purdue team is a little sneaky. Three and two on the season. Uh, wins over Indiana State, Florida Atlantic. Those aren't very impressive. The win at 21 Minnesota last week, very impressive. But you speak about losses, Mitch, and I'm pretty impressed by their losses. A season opening loss to Penn State, 35-31. Penn State's mm-hmm. now the number 10 team in the country. And a road loss to Syracuse, 32 to 29. And Syracuse now a top 25 team in the country looks pretty good. Those are the two losses on their resume. So hence why I think this is a sneaky good matchup. I'm going the opposite of you, though. 
I'm rolling with the Boilermakers. Aiden uh, O'Connell, Purdue, get it done on the road. Uh, I'm mainly doing this for the sake of the picks, Mitch, because uh, I could go either way on this one. This is a really toss-up matchup, as you said. I really could go either way between Maryland and Purdue, but I'll roll with Purdue in this one. I get you. you're playing the uh, game. You're playing the game is what. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, yeah. We gotta we gotta mix it up. You know, it's the fun of it. We gotta you know we gotta pick against each other on some of these. So there you go. That's our games to watch this week. Certainly another great week of college football, Mitch. To wrap up the campus tour, we gotta do our player to know before the NFL draft. To recap the last few weeks, we did Drew Sanders, linebacker out of Arkansas, last week. Bijan Robinson, running back out of Texas. Jordan Addison, wide receiver from USC. And our first entry, Bryce Young, quarterback out of Alabama. Mitch, we're going to stay on the defensive side of the ball here for probably a couple weeks and highlight some of the top defensive players rising in the draft process right now. And the name to know before the NFL draft this week is Joey Porter Jr., the cornerback out of Penn State. Wait, uh, Mitch, this wait, 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 that that name sounds familiar. Joey Porter. Yes, Mitch, that that name might sound familiar. He's got a little pedigree to him. You know, we saw it with Pat Sertan, J.C. Horn, right, just a couple seasons ago, a couple corners who had fathers who played in the league at a high level, even if they didn't play that position. Well, Joey Porter Jr. is the son of Joey Porter Sr., a uh, longtime linebacker, right, for the Steelers. He was an outside linebackers coach for the Steelers for a couple years recently, a great NFL player. Uh, and his son is shaping out to be uh, one of the best prospects in this upcoming draft uh, at the cornerback position. Six foot two, 198 pounds. Mm. Looks like he has great speed, uh, like legit 4-4 speed. Uh, and those are the NFL measurables you want. Six two, 200, 4 4, four five speed like that. Check, 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 right, when it comes to the cornerback position. And then on top of that, you talk about the pedigree, the the background. We've seen success with these set with the with the sons of NFL players, right? There's usually, you know, those guys come in and they play pretty well. We see it time and time again. Uh, and part of me sort of bets on that uh Joey Porter Jr. is gonna be that sort of prospect in this draft. He's got nine pass breakups this season, which leads all of college football. And in a year that has really good corner prospects, and we mentioned Clark Phillips the third earlier, he's a little bit behind maybe what Joey Porter Jr. would be at. Keely Ringo from Georgia is one of those names at the top. Uh, Eli Ricks from Alabama, the LSU transfer, uh, former five-star, one of those names. But those guys haven't really shown great this season so far. But Joey Porter has, and he's rising in the draft process. Matt Miller of ESPN has him as his cornerback one uh, Todd McShay has him all the way up to prospect number 20 uh, up into his top 25 uh, in, in his most recent uh, grades. Uh, so he is starting to rise. And again, when you look at that prototypical frame length, physicality at the line of scrimmage in that press man coverage can also play zone really well because of the speed. He's got an all around game that is going to translate really well to the NFL. And with that pedigree, I would not be surprised to see him continue to rise up and up into this draft class, potentially be competing for that number one cornerback spot. Uh, so name to watch this week, Joey Porter, Jr., cornerback out of Penn State, uh, you know, top 10 team right now. That's only going to help him out as they gain more attention, more national television time uh, for him a uh, chance to rise in this draft process. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned all 
that he just, you just mentioned that he checks all the boxes as far as far as physicality goes. Yeah, you know, the size, the speed, uh, the six two one ninety, the four 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 five speed, um, great ball instincts. Uh, th- this guy just checks all the boxes for him uh, for for an NFL ready cornerback. So I I, I love it. Love yeah, it. No doubt. So. A lot of cornerbacks to talk in this draft process. And we'll he will not be the uh, only name we bring up here at that at that position. Certainly uh, some interesting prospects rising in that uh, draft process that I'm keeping my eyes on. And we will uh, keep you updated uh, as far as those go. All righty, Mitch. Well, that's going to do it for the campus tour. And that is going to do it for the first half of the podcast. We're going to take a break and hit a mid-roll. And when we come back, we will hear a a top five from Mitch Mm -hmm. Moe. Great stuff. And then, oh, that's a little Yoda there. I like that. Um, And and then uh, a little NFL week four recap and our quick picks. Mm -hmm. Just stick around. We'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the Sports Hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening. But if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on Anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the Sports Hour and become a permanent part of the show, like my saint of a mother, Sammy, and my father, David, did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back into the second half of the sports hour with Mitchmo and Dallin. Hope you enjoyed a little break here. There, not here, there. It's in the Everywhere. past, it happened. Erwer, I learned that word last week from you. Erwer, Erwer. But Adele, we just went through our uh, our one of our favorite segments that we do every week, which is the campus tour, and um, we talked about a lot of good teams. No one ever talks about the bad teams, like the historically bad teams. That's why on this week's edition of Mitch Moe's Top Five List of the Week. We're going to be doing the top five worst college football teams of all time. Wow. I love this. I, I'm very intrigued as to where this will go. There's a, uh, yeah. I got, a lot it, of it, bad teams. There's some bad teams. There's some really bad teams. <laughs> uh, let's go through some honorable mentions here. The 1955 Alabama Crimson Tide. Really bad. Uh, not an era we like oh. to look back on. It was pre-Barrett Barrett. So uh, the 1916 1916 Cumberland. I don't even know what their mascot was, but that was the team that got beat 222 to nothing by Georgia Tech. Yeah, um, that, that was that, the only team, the only game that that team ever played. They went 0 and 1, and that was their only loss. That'll um, get you on the honorable mention for sure. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> 1923 Wyoming Cowboys, and let's not forget the 2015 USF or UCF. What's UCF? Golden Knights. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not forget about them. The mm-hmm. the O'Leary era where they were expected to be like a top 25 team and then wound up going 0-12. So they did. They missed out because they were expected to be good and everything went wrong for them. So, like, mm. that's kind of why they missed they out. They weren't here. just purely bad. Yeah. Yeah. They were they, a disappointment. OK, they I, were feel a disappointment. I feel that. I feel that. All right. 
Uh, number five on the list. Let's go to 1959. The Virginia Cavaliers, who went 0 and 10, an exceptionally bad effort from 1958 through 1960. 1959. We're just putting the year on that as kind of the marker for them. Um, but 59 actually happened to be the worst season that this team ever went through. They were outscored 393 to 80 with an average margin of defeat of 31 points per game. It is said that it got so bad that Thomas, Je- the ghost of Thomas Jefferson appeared in the office of head coach Dick Force and said, never put off until tomorrow what you can do today. Like, run the damn ball, Dick. <laughs> So the Virginia Cavaliers of 1959 are number five on the list. Oh my goodness. I love that. That is a 31 point margin of victory. That is, uh, that's tough scenes for the Cavs. It's not the worst. We'll see. That's not the worst. We'll see. <laughs> Trust me on that one. Uh, number four on the list. We're going to go with the Stevens university ducks. So, uh, the Stevens Institute of technology was founded in 1870 Hoboken, New Jersey, Um, And they were one of the inaugural college football programs uh, to establish actual an actual set of rules for college football, uh, along with Rutgers, Princeton, Columbia and Yale. But 1886 went really, really bad for them. They're outscored 294 to six, including a pair of losses to Princeton, 58 to nothing and 61 to six. So their only points scored throughout the year was one game against Princeton. Wow. In which they still got beat by, what is that? 55 points. 55 points, yeah. They did tie Lehigh 0-0, but then lost them 14-0 the next game. So they went 0-7-1 throughout their season. But the Stevens Institute of Technology, Ducks, number four on the list. Number three on the list. Let's go to 1946, 1946, Kansas State Wildcats. Uh, Yeah, K-State, a team we've talked about quite a bit here on this show, had a 28-game losing streak that ran from 1944 to 1948. The 46 team got outscored 233 to 41, never topping seven points in any game in that four-year stretch. Yeah, I had big losses to Oklahoma and Nebraska, but they also lost to the University of San Francisco and Hardin-Simmons University. Tell me if you've ever heard of them before, except for uh, San Francisco. You know, Bill Russell went there, but, you know, what? Yeah, that's a basketball uh, school. That's right. 1948, they actually ended their losing streak, won at Mizzou, but then lost 46 of their next 51 games after that. So (laughs) K-State went through a really, really tough run. Actually, their last great run of futility came in 1940, or 1987 through 88 when they went 0-21-1 in the final two years before hiring Bill Snyder, who showed yeah. up and saved the program after that. Huh. So the 46 Kansas State Wildcats, the 0-19 Wildcats, are number three on the list. There you go. That's, uh, yeah, tough times there in Manhattan, but hate to see it. You tough hate losses. to see it. Number Three on the list. Number three on the list is going to be the 1981 Northwestern Wildcats, who set the major college record for consecutive losses at 34. They began, or the pinnacle of that futility came in the second half of the 1981 season when they lost 61 to 14 to Michigan State. 
and that moved their longest losing streak to 29 games, which actually broke the record. This team just continued their losing ways until, I believe, 1982 when they broke it. So, uh, wow. the 1981 Northwestern Wildcats going to be number two on this list. Yeah. This year's team might might uh, flirt with the list too. They've <laughs> they've been pretty bad this year as well. But uh, yeah, that's what thirty. That's I mean, span of three years losing every game thirty plus. I mean, that is remarkable. That's right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, number one on the list though, and it's not even particularly close, is the nineteen ninety one Prairie View A and M Panthers, who went zero and eleven. Um, in fact, the entire nineties were bad for the Prairie. A, the Prairie View A&M Panthers. Panthers scored 48 points all of that season in 1981 while surrendering an average of 56 per game. So they scored 48 the entire season and gave up 56 a game. That's right. They were outscored 617 to 48 in one season, <laughs> including a 92 to nothing loss against Alabama State that was 72 to nothing at the half. The start of the seven-year losing streak. They oh, lost no. every game for seven years. Was broken at the 80-game mark in 1999. That absolutely dwarfed every other college football losing streak possible. So wow. the 1991 Prairie View A&M Panthers, went, while they were not the only team that was terrible, they were the beginning point of a decade of losing for the Panthers. Prairie View A&M, number one on the list. That is remarkable. How do you give <laughs> like, up like, almost How do you keep playing three or four years into that? Like, like, what, what are players doing doing there? Why, why are they coming back to play? I mean, like, to shut down the program for five years of not winning. That's incredible. It's yeah, it's remarkable. It's remarkable how bad this team was. Like, wow. I believe there's even an ESPN short on how bad that team was. So keep your eyes peeled oh, for that. I, I can't, yeah. I, don't quote me on that, but there you go. They're bad. Very bad. Prairie View A&M Panthers. All right, Mitch, run through the top five one more time for the folks. Uh, number five on the list was the 1959 Virginia Cavaliers. Number four on the list, the 1886 Stevens Institute for Technology Ducks. 1946 Kansas State Wildcats, number three on the list. 1981 Northwestern Wildcats. And number one is going to be the 1991 Prairie View A&M Panthers. There we go. Great stuff on the top five, as always. I've never thought about the worst teams in college football history before until you've done this list. So uh, well done, my friend. Way to way to, you know, way to bring something fresh. I like it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of uh, fresh, Mitch, our NFL week four recap Uh, again, as we talked about earlier, this is the quarter spot of the season four games in. A good time to sort of reflect on what we know about the NFL season so far. You see a lot of that this week in the form of articles and podcasts, and we'll do that here on the podcast today. But we're going to do it in the form of some tier rankings. We've tier ranked all 32 teams, five tiers in the league, tier rankings of all 32. And we'll just sort of bounce around these tiers, give you some general thoughts on some of these teams, why they're in this tier. And uh, we'll see where we differ. Mitch and I each have a list. So 
Uh, we didn't do the same one. We have differing opinions, which is good. I'm curious to see where we agree and where we may differ. But just uh, tier ranking 32 NFL teams based on our uh, impressions, our reactions to the first four games of the season, Mitch. And let's start at the very top with uh, the top tier, the S tier, if you will. Uh, the behemoths, as we're calling it here, the true uh, unstoppable forces in the league so far. Uh, I have four teams in this tier. How many do you have? Two. You have only two. have two. I love this. Okay, well, let's hear the teams first, and then let's discuss it. Tell me the two teams you have. So I got I got the Philadelphia Eagles, and I got the Buffalo Bills. Okay. That's it. That's it. Those okay, Philly. Yeah, Philly, Philly 4-0 this season, obviously the only undefeated team uh, so far this season. Bills 3-1 and one off to a great start. Those two teams are obviously in my top tier, but I included two others, Mitch. I included the Kansas City Chiefs who are off to a three and one start in their season. And I included the Miami dolphins who are also off to a three and one start. Uh, I felt like all these four teams more than any have more often than not looked dominant uh, in their games this season for the majority of their games this season, even with losses on the record for three out of those four teams. I think these have been the most dominant teams in their wins and at their best and right now certainly look like the most potent teams uh, to start the league's year. So that's why I ended up with Buffalo, Philly, Kansas City, Miami. Uh, do you have any qualms, I guess, with me putting the Chiefs uh, and the Dolphins in this top tier? I guess a little bit, because like when I think of behemoth and I think of unstoppable, it's like they don't have anything that's standing in their way. And I guess, well... So then you could use that argument against me with the Bills. But I think that the Bills yeah. were playing banged up. They didn't have the Gabe, they didn't have Gabe Davis. You know, they they were playing a little bit banged up. Miami squeaks one by Baltimore. They squeak one by uh Buffalo. Um Tua goes down against the Bengals. So like we can't really count that one, I don't think. Um and New England, they they didn't necessarily blow them out of the water. The score may have been more reflective of uh, what that game actually was. But like, I think Miami is really, really good. I just wouldn't put him as a behemoth. Okay. Um, and I feel the same way about Kansas city. I think that Kansas city is played tighter in some games that you think they should run away with. So I got, I, it's, it's hard for me to put them as behemoths, but I think that they're really, really good and they can compete with those behemoth teams, but I'm not going to put them as behemoths. That, that's, that's, that's reserved for like, the cream of the crop of the league. And I think that Buffalo and Philadelphia right now are that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would say I would push back on Buffalo a bit on that definition. I think then you would only say Philly is the only team that is truly looked dominant because they're four and oh, you know, and as good as Buffalo looked in that loss, I mean, they still have 500 yards and scored 19 points. Right. So uh, clearly something going wrong there, but, uh, but I, I mean, I think one of the biggest takeaways for the start of this season is just that there, it, it feels like the parody is stronger this year more than ever, right? There hasn't been like this top tier of group of teams that we just know are legit. Like we're used to in seasons past, right? There's not five or six teams you point at and you're like, yep, these are all really, really good teams. I mean, you only put two in the top. I put four 
Uh, that's lower right. than where we're normally at. Uh, and I think that just goes to show uh, how the start of the season has gone uh, as far as just the parity. Uh, it looks more even. Nobody's really emerged yet outside of just maybe a handful of teams. Yeah. It, it, yeah. You talk about the parody. It, it, it's absolutely true. I feel like this is the most confusing start to an NFL season that I can remember, at least. Usually yeah. there's those four or five teams. Where you're like, yeah, those guys. But like, we don't have that right now. I think personally, in my opinion, we have two. Clearly, you think we have four. But like, that's up for debate also at the same time as is to, you know, who is that cream of the crop of the league right now? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Mitch, let's jump to the next tier. Uh, tier below this, uh, we're calling this the Roethlisberger tier, right? Good, but not quite at that top elite talent. Always consistent, always there, but you're not Peyton. You're not Brady. You're just Roethlisberger. Uh, I had six teams in this tier. How many teams did you have in this second tier? I had nine. Nine. Okay, so we're we're pretty close on the total number in these top two. So I'm curious to hear. Uh, give me. Oh, I'll tell you my six teams here, and then you read your nine. My six teams okay. in this uh, Roethlisberger tier, the second tier would be uh, the Baltimore Ravens, the Minnesota Vikings, the San Francisco 49ers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Green Bay Packers, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. Okay. I got the Miami Dolphins. The Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, the Green Bay Packers, the Dallas Cowboys, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Minnesota Vikings, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Los Angeles Rams. Okay. Okay, so obviously you had those uh, Chiefs and Dolphins who I had in the top tier here in the second tier. That seems fair. I'm not going to, you know. They're the top uh, of that tier, by the way. Yeah, sure. And I'm not going to argue with you there. Uh just to discuss some of the teams that we had similarly in here, uh, I did debate, and I wonder where you stood on this. I did debate about Tampa Bay and Green Bay here, uh, as far as even moving them down a tier. I did debate that. Uh, but I guess ultimately, I gave Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and the coaching staffs and the success like a benefit of the doubt to move them up here. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable putting him in as the same tier as some of the teams in the mid tier that we'll talk about. It just didn't feel right. And he, even though they have looked suspect at times at, at the start of the season, both of those teams, uh, I do think ultimately they are one of some of the better teams. And for me, that's it's sort of even though they're two and two each. Uh, right. I think maybe Green Bay's three and one. Uh, but other than that, I think, uh, you know, well, I think that's why I ended up, I ended up putting them where I did. That's totally. Down, I'm about to have a parental talk with you. That's totally natural because as a sports fan, recency bias is totally natural. You can <laughs> ac- absolutely put them up there. And if they haven't given you any reason to put them any lower, why would you? So, like, that's where I'm at with Tampa Bay and Green Bay. Like, yeah, maybe we haven't had the hottest start or, you know, that we've had no. over, the, you know, the previous years. But, like, there's no reason for me to put you any lower than this because you haven't given me a reason to. So that's where I got Green Bay and and Tampa. That's why I got Green Bay and Tampa Bay up there. I certainly flirted with it. But when you when you hear the title of my next tier, you'll know why I didn't put them there, because <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I, I think it's very it's very important that when we tier these things, we compartmentalize them in, in broader things, especially at the quarter way of the season. You know. No doubt. No doubt. Um, in, in regards to some of these other teams, Vikings off to a three and one start. 
you know, they seem they seem pretty fitting in here. Niners two and two, uh, Ravens uh, two and two, but really competitive teams so far, even with some of their struggles. So I think that's why we both feel pretty good about all of those teams in there. Uh, but you did have two teams in this tier that I didn't. And I had one team in this tier uh, that you didn't. So let's discuss those real quick. And I'll start, Mitch, with the Bengals, who I did have in this top tier. And this was a team I moved up at the last second, originally had them in that third tier, that middle tier. Uh, They are two and two in the season. And they were certainly one of the disappointments to start off the season. It's something we've talked about on this podcast. But I like the way the Bengals have turned it around the last couple games. Obviously, winning at the Jets, not very impressive. But the Thursday night game against Tua, I know he was knocked out. But that's still a very tough Miami team. I don't think they're going to be horrible with Teddy Bridgewater under center. They may win a lot of games if he has to play a lot of games. So I think Miami's still a really good team. I am impressed with Cincinnati. And because of that win last week and, again, winning the AFC last season, I think that's why I bumped them up a tier uh, in the end. Yeah, that was a team actually I flirted with being here was the Bengals um, because, you know, I picked them to win the division. I'm kind of out on that right now. They're sure. not feeling the good vibes with the Bengals. I'm feeling more with the Ravens vibes. But, yeah. you know, that's a team that I could easily take. And spoiler alert, they're in my third tier. But, you know, they right. they they sh- that was a team I definitely flirted with, with uh, being there. They have turned it around. But, man, those first yeah. two weeks were ugly. Yeah. And they so. were ugly. But even though they were ugly, Mitch, there are two field goal losses. Right. Sure. In games that if you looked at the box score, they probably should have been way out of those games. Right. So I do think that there's some. Some I don't know, scrappiness yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That maybe, you know, you chalk up. So anywho, that's where I sat on the Bengals. Give me your thoughts on Dallas uh, getting into this tier. They're off to a three and one start. And then the Rams at two and two getting into this tier. Yeah, I, I still am a believer in the Rams. I think it's a slow start, but I think that this is still a really good team. I, 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 I I'm still bought all the way in on the Rams. I think that this is a very good team. I'm not worried about the two and two start. The Cowboys. If you're winning with Cooper Rush, that says something about what you've got put together right now. And it's on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in the front four of Dallas. That defense is really, really good. And I know that Dak will be back and he's not going to be back this week, possibly next week or the week after. So we're probably looking at about two more weeks without Dak. Cooper Rush is going to keep this team afloat. Are you kidding me? If Cooper Rush can keep this team afloat, you're looking at a team that's actually really well built on the defensive side of the ball and well coached enough on the offensive ball, offensive side of the ball to keep Cooper Rush successful. So that's why Dallas makes that good team. I, I still, I still am not 100% sold on the Cowboys, but through the first quarter, you know, through the first quarter of the year. They, they look like they got something really well put together. Yeah, I mean, Cowboys, obviously very impressive to get wins while they have Cooper Rush and, and certainly not expected uh, after Dak went out. But uh, Mitch, I, I I didn't really think about Dallas for the second tier at all, to be honest with you. Uh, and it's mainly because, yes, they've stayed afloat and that's been impressive, but it's been against the, the Giants and the Commanders last couple of weeks. Like not impressive teams, right? It's not like they've really been challenged. Uh, They will be, though. They have the Rams and the Eagles and the Lions over the next three weeks. Two of those games uh, are on the road. So uh, we'll see just how good Cooper Rush can be for you, just how good the rest of the roster is, as you said, 
uh, you know, when they face some more tougher teams. But uh, that was my one thought there with Dallas. Obviously, they have been impressive, but I That's- did flirt with, with the Rams in that second tier because I did have the Rams go into the Super Bowl again, repeating uh, as the NFC representative this year. And I'm not necessarily out on them, but they have just really looked ugly, ugly, ugly at times. Uh, and what's concerning to me, Mitch, about the Rams is, yeah, they got it done against the Cardinals and Falcons. We expect them to do that. But when they played other competitive teams, the Bills and the Niners, they got stymied. I mean, they lost to the Bills and the Niners a combined 55 to 19 in those games. That is, They weren't even competitive. They weren't even close. That season opener against Buffalo was awful. That Monday, uh, what was that, Sunday night game against the Niners? Monday night game against the Niners last week was awful. Uh, they weren't even close. And so they're not looking good against good teams. So that tells me they're not a good team. So that was my thought on the Rams. I, I get that. And I, I understand your sentiment with that, I think. And I flirted with Dallas being in the third tier, too. But, you know, I get it. So, I yeah, but like I, I think I'm just buying into the defense. I'm buying into yeah. what Micah Parsons is leading over there. And right. it's really hard to look away. I. I have a fetish for defenses down. Let me just be honest with you. I have a fetish for really good defenses. You're a Bears fan. It's no surprise to me. I know, right? Seriously. Third tier, Dallin. What did you name this third tier? Because we left this up for interpretation. We we, oh, we kind of. Yes. Yes. I'm calling this. Uh, I'm calling this the mid off. Uh, the okay. competition of mid. Uh, just a bunch of teams that are mid. Okay. That's my middle tier. What about you? What did you call this? I called this the. Going to win sometimes, but we're going to say, wow, every time they win. I like it. <laughs> I so, like it. All right. Yeah. I like. OK, so uh, I had eight teams in this tier, Mitch. I'll read mine off and then you tell me what you had. Uh, the okay. two, Obviously, I had Rams, Cowboys in this team tier. Those are the two teams you had above. Uh, but besides those two teams, I had the Cleveland Browns, uh, the Detroit Lions, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Los Angeles Chargers, the New York Giants and the Denver Broncos. That was okay. my mid-tier, my C-tier of teams. How many did you have, and what were the teams? I had eight as well, and I had uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. We already talked about. I had the Jacksonville Jaguars. I had the Arizona Cardinals. I had the New York Giants. I had the Detroit Lions, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Las Vegas Raiders, and the New England Patriots. Wow. Okay, so we had... Quite a bit different in this tier. We're starting starting to see some separation here. So this mid-tier, Mitch, let's focus on some of these teams we agree on. We're, we're pretty chalk with uh, Jacksonville, uh, Detroit, I think, uh, the Giants. Those are some of the surprising fun teams this year. Giants are 3-1. and one. Uh, Jacksonville, 2-2, two and two, really competitive. Even though Detroit's 1-3, and three, I know the record should say they're a bottom-tier team. So but much you and I they're so much better than that. And that's why they're in the mid tier for both of us. I think that's pretty fitting that a one in three team ends up in that. Again, number, that's why the records don't always matter. You know, number one in offense in the NFL, number 32 in defense in the NFL. I yeah. mean, this team just like it checks the, all the boxes for yeah. a fun team. Yeah. Chargers, a two and two team that has disappointed, but has high expectations. Uh, you know, you had the Bengals in this tier. You could say the same thing about them as far as fitting into this mid tier uh, as well. So then let's talk about some of the ways that we differed. So if I am correct, I had the Browns and the Broncos in this tier and you did not. 
tell me, let's let's talk about these few teams here. Let's start with the Broncos. Where did you have them? What tier did you have them? Uh, the next one down. Do you want me to the name next, the tier? Uh, sure. You can tell us the, the name. Okay. The next the next tier I I had called liars. Oh, nice. Liars. Liars. And that's where I, that's where I had them at. Look, you sign the big name quarterback. You say that everything's gonna be okay, and it's not just it's just not gonna be okay. Like things are not okay in Denver, and things are not okay in Cleveland, and that's why I can't put them in this in this deal. When we when I look at this tier, this middle tier, it's that things are going to be all right. They just may not be what you hoped they would be. And so that's where that's where I have a lot of these teams at. And the Broncos and the Browns for me just didn't fit into that tier, to that middle tier. They just didn't for me. I know that we talked about preseason, the hopes that we had for Denver and Cleveland, but like I'm kind of out on him right now that it just things have not looked good at all. Yeah. I'm surprised by that when it, when it comes to Cleveland, I mean, obviously Denver has been a pretty big disappointment uh, two and two on the season. The record is fine. Like two and two is fine. They felt like an Owen four team, honestly, exactly uh, at times. Uh, And so I do get that, but this defense for the Broncos is really legit. Like that, that defense is legit and will, I believe carry them to at least being in the playoff conversation all year even if the team isn't great and the offense struggles. That was my thoughts on Broncos. And I think Cleveland's been better than I expected. I expected them to be one win maybe with Jacoby Brissett, uh, but they're two and two. They lost a one. Uh, they had a one point loss to the Jets and a three point loss to the Falcons. Uh, and then a pair of wins and their schedule hasn't been super competitive, but uh, they're better than I expected them to be without Deshaun Watson uh, at this point in the season. So I'm actually sort of more impressed with the Browns than I thought I was going to be at this point. Yeah, I, I, I get all that. But like with the Broncos promise, really, when you look at organizationally, the Broncos promise was if we get the quarterback right, we'll be OK. And they haven't been OK. Like they went out and got one of the better quarterbacks in the entire league and things haven't been OK. Like two and two's fine. But if you have Russ underneath center and you're expected to let Russ cook, you wouldn't expect a two and two team that's having to rely on defense to win every game. Like that's lying. You're you're lying now to your fans. So like something something is wrong in Denver. I don't I Nathaniel Hackett has been an absolute disaster. You would expect for him for, with him coming over from Rod well, working with Rodgers for him to just really try to start, you know, really meld well with Eric, with uh, Russell Wilson and things just haven't gone well in in Denver. And then, of course, the poor city of Cleveland has just been lied to that we're we're going to everything's going to be OK. We're going to bring in Deshaun Watson. Baker Mayfield's gone. We're bringing in Deshaun Watson. He's suspended for 11 games. but Everything's going to be OK because we're going to run the ball really well and play good defense. And that'll keep us in our winning ways. And it, it hasn't. Yeah, two and two is not in your winning ways. That's 500 ball and losing a couple games that you should have won. And play, you know, and winning in closer games. So, like, I, I don't believe in either of these teams right now, organizationally speaking, and 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 on the sideline the way they're led. I don't, I, I'm not buying into it at all. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Well, then talk me into the three teams that you had in this tier that I did not. Uh, and I want to start with 
One in particular, the Las Vegas Raiders, Mitch, which I had in my bottom tier of teams. Yeah. I had the Raiders in the bottom tier of teams because they have looked like one of the worst teams in the league to start the season. Why are you confident, despite the one and three start, that they are a mid-tier team through their first four games? It's all gut. It's all gut. They're playing in the toughest division in the NFL. They're bringing in a great offensive mind with a good quarterback. Derek Carr is a good quarterback. He's got the best weapon in the NFL right now in Devontae Adams at his disposal. I believe they stayed a little bit healthier. They continue to use Josh Jacobs as a as, as a weapon like he did last week when he ran for 140 yards, 130 yards, whatever it was, uh, and two touchdowns. I think if they can continue to do that, they'll be just fine. I'm not saying that they're a playoff team right now, but they'll be okay. They'll be just fine. Yeah, I, I just don't know about Vegas. I mean, uh, they needed a win last week, right? Starting 0-3, they're the only team without a win uh, after the first three weeks of the season. They desperately needed a win and got it done when they needed to against Denver. So good on them for that. We'll see how they respond. They've got the Chiefs this week, certainly uh, not an easy matchup on Monday night. Uh, then maybe the schedule will get a little easier for them, but uh, certainly not the start there. I, I don't know about them as a mid-tier there. Uh, that seems a little tough for me, though. But I am interested on where you sat on the Cardinals and the Patriots. Both of these teams you had in the mid-tier, in the C-tier. Uh, I had them both a tier below in that fourth tier, uh, What? Uh, which, I, which, by the way, I named slightly better than garbage. Uh, oh, okay. So what? Uh, so Cardinals and Patriots—they're a mid, they're a C tier uh, for you. What's the what's the thought process behind those two teams? Uh, look, Cardinals still have a ton of talent on that team. They still have a ton of talent on that team. Cliff Kingsbury—I uh, know his coaching has been questionable at times, but I think they have a ton enough talent to still hang around in that mid tier. So I'm not backing all the way down on the all the way out on the Cardinals. Even though I don't think Kyler is going to be there for the long haul, I think that something will be, you know, something will happen along the lines. But I'm not giving up totally on the Cardinals. With the Patriots, it's one name, Bill Belichick. He finds a way to win. He found a way to win with Ryan Mallett. Can he, he'll find a way to win with Mac Jones for a second time. Like I think that they'll just find a way to hang around. Not a playoff team, uh, but they'll be that middle tier team again. And um, as infuriating as it is, I, I have to put the Patriots in this middle. Despite tier. the one and three start, they've got one win over the Steelers, 17-14. Mac Jones is I mean, injured, like a, starting like I said, Bailey Zappi, and they're a mid-tier team. Look, like I said, I, yeah. like I said, this is this is quarter this is quarter season reactions. I could be wrong, but like, what? I mean, though the slow start, I have 20 years, 20 years of of everything else telling me the otherwise. So. Fair enough. That's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, New England's a tough one. I, mean, I, had, I had them in the slightly better than garbage chair, as I said, just because one and three start. Again, Bailey Zappi starting right now. Mac Jones, we don't know how much time they miss, he'll miss, but even uh, with him healthy to start this season, it's not like uh, things looked great. And this division seems even tougher than ever, right? Miami looks obviously legit. Buffalo is tough. The Jets could be better this year. They look better this year so far. So a uh, tough draw for New England there. For Arizona in that slightly better than garbage tier, they're two and two. Big loss to the Chiefs. Wins over the Raiders and the Panthers. Uh, I just don't really know what to make of this team yet. I think that's the problem with Arizona at this point, Mitch, right? Still no DeAndre Hopkins. Still so many injuries at the pass catching position for them. 
Uh, like what even are they going to be at the end of the season? Like we just, we're never going to know in the first six weeks anyways. And it feels like, especially through these first four weeks and that it's been so up and down, up and down. Uh, I just don't really know what to take away from them. I, I guess I could see that in the mid tier, uh, for them, but they feel like maybe more of a disappointment. Uh, that's probably why I bumped them down a, a tier there, but, uh, I get, I get that there for that third tier. Uh, so your fourth tier, remind me, remind me what you, what, remind me the name, what you call it? Liars. The liars. Okay. So who, uh, did you have in this fourth tier in your liars tier? So we had the Denver Broncos, the Cleveland Browns, who we already talked about. I had the Seattle Seahawks, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New York Jets, the Tennessee Titans, the New Orleans Saints, and the Washington Commanders. We, uh, we, we are slightly, uh, different here again on this one. So I obviously had the Cardinals and the Pats. I also had the Seahawks, the Jets, the Titans, and the Saints. I had the Falcons and I have the Indianapolis Colts in this, uh, tier here. So a couple teams, uh, different. You had Steelers commanders in this tier, right? Those are the two teams, uh, that we didn't agree on. Right. And I had, uh, Falcons, Colts, uh, <clears throat> Let's start with the Colts, Mitch, because they're one, two and one. And listen, like things have looked really bad. I get it. Like you are more than justified throwing them in the bottom tier. Not going to tell you otherwise there. Uh, But I just I think the talent on this team, like I know it has looked ugly. But there's just slight things here and there where little things go different and they're two and two or they're three and one. And it's like, boom, you know, they're just, it hasn't been egregious losses to the point of like, this is just a bad team. This is a team that's getting really lucky and also not playing well. So that's why I think they're not, they're out of that bottom seller of those are just teams that are really bad. Like no matter how much they try, they're just bad. I think the Colts are not in that group more underperforming than just bad. So that's why I put the Colts uh, up a tier, uh, you know, not, not in that, in that bottom tier. Uh, and, and the Falcons is kind of the same way two and two start. They've been surprising. I think the Falcons have proven to me this year that they're not a bottom dweller, but they're a not very good team. That's going to be sneaky. A couple times might get a couple more wins than we expected. I mean, we had them winning what three, four games this season. They're already at two and two. So they're certainly surpassing my expectations so far. That's why I had those two teams in that fourth tier. Yeah, I actually I had the Falcons in that fourth tier and I moved them out. Um, Okay. yeah, just because I'm not I'm not really confident in the long haul for them. Fair enough. Um, So I I, not going to be a good season. You know, (laughs) that's why I moved them out. And so, like, I, you know, and with the Colts. I think that the next thing that needs to happen in that organization is they need to fire Frank Reich. I think things, really? I think he's not managing Ty- Jonathan Taylor. Well, he, he has some weeks where man, he just does not use him. And, but the weeks that he does, you know, things turn out. Okay. So like, I, I, I think that if things don't change, I know that if things don't change, in Indianapolis, Frank Reich will be the next head on the chopping block um, because you get in a veteran presence like Matt Ryan with these young wide receivers and this very talented young running back. And you don't use this young talent to the best of its ability. Um, that's a really quick way to get yourself out the door in the NFL. Yeah, I think he's got a bit more time than that, but he certainly will be well, on the hot seat is, this year if his it doesn't is longer, go well. But- 
Yeah, uh, he is in his fifth season as the head coach of the Colts. Uh, he has a 38, 30 and one record so far. Uh, if you take away this season's uh, games, then he'd be 37, 28, 37 and 28 through four seasons, uh, for three of those winning seasons. Uh, so it's been all pretty good. But if he wins five or six games this year, you know, that's a huge underperformance. And you definitely have to question, is this the guy? What's going on in Indy? Do we need to look somewhere else? So, yeah, certainly uh, going to be an important stretch for the Colts. They've got the Broncos this week, but then division games against the Jags and the Titans again after losing to the Jags and the Titans already this year. So those are two huge games. If they lose those ones, I mean, you could kiss the AFC South goodbye. You could probably kiss the whole season goodbye. And maybe then uh, maybe you're right. We do see a change uh, at that at that position. Uh, Mitch, let's talk about the, uh, the two teams that you had in this tier that I didn't, that would be the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Washington commanders. What were your thoughts in, in putting them up here in tier four? Um, so I put them in the liars tier because they were lying to their fan bases. That's it. They okay. told you that we, that we brought in these quarterbacks and everything's going to be okay. We replaced Ben Roethlisberger with Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. Damn, everything's going to be all right. Everything's be all right. We got a rookie quarterback and a guy that hasn't done shit since he's been in the league for four years. Yeah, everything's going to be okay. We're going to replace Ben Roethlisberger with those two guys. Everything's going to be all right. And then Washington has the audacity. The audacity to go, all right, we had a year at Taylor Heineke, but don't worry. We're going to bring in Carson Wentz. We're going to bring in Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz is going to make everything okay, and this is the guy we're rolling with. They're liars. They're lying to their fan bases that everything's going to be okay with these quarterbacks under center. Kenny Pickett's a project. Maybe a couple years down the road, Kenny Pickett's it's going to be okay with Kenny Pickett. Not right now. Not right now. Don't tell everyone that right now it's going to be okay. With Washington, they're the more egregious liars here that they said they're going to bring in a a former top two pick in the NFL draft and Carson Wentz, and that this is going to be the point that he revitalized his career. He hasn't been terrible, but I'll tell you what, that's not the answer in Washington. And they're lying to their fan bases if they're trying to convince them that it is. That's why I wind up in my liars tier. Okay. Yeah. I know. I get that. I think that's very fair. And those two teams, both starting one and three respectively, disappointing uh, starts to their seasons. And again, as you said, brought in, uh, some mid quarterbacks and tried to convince the fan base it's going to work out. And uh, yes, it is certainly not worked out so far uh, for those two teams. Mitch, our final tier, the bottom tier, I'm calling this pond scum toenail clippings. You know, like, I don't know, the worst of the worst, just just garbaggio, uh, not very good. Um, I'll read you the six teams I had here. We've talked about a lot of these teams. Uh, I had the Raiders, the Steelers, the Commanders, the Panthers, the Bears, and the Texans in this bottom tier. Uh, you hate to see both of our squads <laughs> ending up here, Mitch, through four games. Who did you have in your bottom tier, and what did you name this tier? Uh, this tier is called the Booty Hole. The <laughs> Booty Hole tier. Um, these teams are Booty Hole. Um, I had the Carolina Panthers, the Chicago Bears. The uh, Indianapolis Colts, the Houston Texans, and the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't want to spend too much time here other than, uh, you know, talking about the demise of our beloved teams, Mitch. Uh, I have no faith in what the Panthers are doing in the direction that they're going. Uh, I am all in. I'm literally, I'll tell you where I'm at as a Panthers fan in week five of the NFL season. I am all in on finding the next head coach. Like I am all, I am already compiling my list of candidates that I want. I want the I want to interview the OC for Detroit, Brian Johnson. I think that's his name. He's been doing great things there with the Lions. I want to interview him. I want to interview D'Amico Ryans, the DC for the night. Like I'm just compiling my list of future head coaches. That's where I'm at with Carolina. It's not been a good season. How are you feeling about your Bears? Well, I think you guys should also look into you know interviewing Eric Bieniemy to go over there. That would be fantastic. I mean, he's still the Absolutely. OC in Kansas City, and he should have had a kid coaching job. Three freaking years ago is where you should have had a head coaching job. With the Bears, I've just submitted to the fact we're rebuilding. I've just yeah. submitted to the fact that we're rebuilding. Like, I know we're going to suck for a little while, and that's that's okay. That's okay. We're rebuilding. We're going to have a crap ton of draft picks coming up. We're going to have a crap ton of uh, cap space for free agency. Like, we we we're okay. We're just going to suck for a few years. Yep. So, like, I, I've embraced that. It's uh, I acceptance is part of the what is the 12 steps of grief or whatever acceptance. Like, it's like step 10 or whatever, step 12 or whatever. I forget what it is. I don't even know what that is. But, like, I'm just I, I am in acceptance mode with the Chicago Bears that we're going to suck. And I just have to be patient. I have to be exactly. patient for the rebuild. Justin Fields, as excited as I was, may not be the future of the Bears. I just have to be okay with that. So and you just got to be patient with him. And I think that's sure. I think that's the biggest mistake NFL and the NFL fans have made over the last couple of years is we've seen the Mahomes and the Herberts and the Watsons and all these guys come straight into the league and immediately look like pro bowlers. And now we expect that from every rookie quarterback. And the fact of the matter is, is that those guys are more of the outlier than the real thing. You know, more often than not, it looks ugly before it looks good. Uh, And even if it does look ugly at times, it can still look good for the future of their career. So uh, it's something that we could all remember uh, to be more patient with these young quarterbacks. And Justin Fields is no exception there. Uh, Yeah, tough times for us, but that's okay. You know, there's always the 2023 NFL draft to look forward to. uh That's right. You go get Will Anderson. I'll go get Bryce Young and we'll both walk away happy. How about that? You know what? If you guys get Bryce Young, I will be legitimately happy for you. I will be legitimately because you're my buddy. I kind of pull for the Panthers on the side because you're my buddy and you got to be my quarterback. So I got to pull for you a little bit. If you get Bryce Young, I'll be happy for you. So I like, well, I appreciate that. We'll see. Hopefully we're in a good position in the draft at the end of this season. Mitch, uh, to wrap up the podcast, we got to do our quick picks for NFL week five and to recap uh, last week, Mitch, you went 11 and five in the picks. I went nine and seven, a better week for you boys. Uh, we're hoping to continue on that. That puts Mitch ahead for the season, 35, 28 and one. I've trailed by two games, 33, 30 and one. So we're slightly improving, looking to build upon that. That's right. It's it's a better week than we've had in the, in the past few weeks. Yes. So. We've had That's some rough ones. I mean, we were barely above 500 uh, not too long ago. So we're, we're creeping up and uh, we'll hopefully continue creeping here as we start our week five quick picks on Thursday night. Indianapolis Colts looking to right the ship. 
headed to the mile high to take on the Denver Broncos. And Mitch, give me Russell Wilson in the Broncos. Disappointing start to the season, but it's got to click sometime, right? It's got to click eventually. This is the week. I've been saying this for four weeks now, but this is finally the one. It clicked. Give me Denver. I like Denver in this one, too. Danger Russ going to start cooking in that mile-high kitchen up there in Denver. Give me the Broncos over the Colts on Thursday night. Dallin, we're heading over to London early Sunday morning. The New York Giants are leaving the Big Apple and Green Bay heading the leaving the land of cheese to head over to London to take on each other in a London matchup. I might give me the Packers. Give me the Packers in this one over the Giants. Aaron Rodgers going to cook over the New York Giants. I like the Packers getting this one done. It'd be a proper good time, bruv. Uh, listen, I love this, Mitch, because this is the first time the Packers were the final of the 32 NFL teams to play a game overseas in the UK. They were the final team to make the trip, and they will this week. Uh, so pretty big moment for the NFL to finally now bring all 32 NFL franchises across the pond. Uh, but I am taking the Packers in this one. Giants had a good start to their season, but... I, I'm taking Aaron Rodgers here. I'm not taking. Uh, I don't even know if Daniel Jones is starting. I mean, they're 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 working out AJ McCarron and Jake Fromm because of the injuries they've had at the Giants' quarterback position. So I'm not touching that with a 20 foot pole, uh, even if it reaches across the English Channel. Give me Green Bay in this one, Mitch. Sunday morning football: the Pittsburgh Steelers and Kenny Pickett making his first career head uh, start this weekend, headed to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Tough place to make your first career start. Welcome to the league, Kenny Pickett. You're going to get blown out. Give me the Buffalo Bills at home. Yeah, I like the Bills as well. Building a fence in front of Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett fence, if you will. Give me the Bills against the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. Following that game, we have the Los Angeles Chargers. They are leaving the City Angels to head over to Believe Land to take on the Cleveland Browns. Justin Herbert going to be making that skyline chilly with the way that he always paints the airs with his ice cold passes give me the chargers over cleveland in cleveland i like the chargers in this one mitch i love you i love you my friend uh wrong city in uh ohio though that's cincinnati oh damn it that's cincinnati <laughs> damn chilly. Damn it. I lo- it was so uh, good i couldn't interrupt you i was like i gotta let him go for it because he killed it you did great a wrong city in Ohio. <laughs> See, this is why Cincinnati is the worst city in Ohio, Mitch, because you knew the one fact about Cincinnati you should know, and you couldn't even correctly attribute it to the city. That's how indescript it is. Uh, <laughs> man, I thought that was Cleveland. Not, uh, oh, I love it. I love it, Mitch. No, you know, Cleveland is home to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I believe First Energy Stadium and that Cleveland dog pound defense is going to be rocking. On Sunday morning, give me Jacoby Brissett and the Brownies to get the home win over the Chargers. Mitch, AFC South matchup next. The Houston Texans, even the Lone Star State, and they're headed to the swamps of Jacksonville to take on Trevor Lawrence, Fabio himself, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Give me the Jags 
to get it done pretty easy over Davis Mills, Long Neck Mills, and the Texans. Speaking of Long Neck, Knock Neck, Long Neck quarterback never broke my heart. I'm not going to count on Houston to break my heart this week. Give me Jacksonville over Texas or over the Texans in this matchup in Jacksonville. I like Jacksonville on this one. Following that game, Chicago is going to leave the Windy City to head up to Minnesota for some snickerdoodles and some tapioca and take on the Vikings. I like the Vikings in this one over Chicago. Kirk Cousins has has the Vikes rolling right now. Defense is looking good. Run game's looking good. I like the Vikes in this one over the Bears. Yeah, NFC North matchup here. Give me the Vikings over Bears. Chicago's in a bad place, as we've discussed. Minnesota's doing pretty well. I don't know if they're a true contender in the NFC, but they're certainly going to be able to win some points against uh, the bottom half of the league. So give me uh, the Vikings here at home. Mitch, following that game, the Detroit Lions, one of the best stories of the season so far. They're headed uh, to the Northeast to take on the New England Patriots. Bailey Zappi, perhaps, starting a quarterback for the Patriots. Not sure the status of quarterback there yet, but who will be starting a quarterback for the Lions? Jared Goff airing it out, putting up points. You love to see it. Give me the Lions in this one to get the win on the road. Give me King Goffrey over the New England Patriots in New England. I like the Lions in this one. Best team in the NFL, worst team in the NFL all at the same time. (laughs) I love the Lions. They're the most fun team to watch. Give me the Lions over New England. Following that one, Seattle. They're leaving the Emerald City to head down to the Big Easy to take on the New Orleans Saints. Give me Seattle. Give me Seattle in this one. Geno Smith. Geno Smith and the Seattle Seahawks going to get it done on the road in a tight one over the Saints. I love everything about that. Give me Seattle. I'm rolling with the Seahawks too, Mitch. Geno Smith has looked really good this season, and the Seahawks are scrappy. This Saints team, on the other hand, has looked very bad. Jameis is hurt. They got Andy Dalton out there. I mean, this offense is a mess. It has a lot of talent, but not a lot to take away from the Saints team. So give me Seattle on the road. Mitch, a good matchup here. Miami Dolphins, Teddy Bridgewater and the Dolphins heading up north uh, to the Meadowlands to take on the New York Jets. Zach Wilson's back, and he's looking good. Big fourth quarter comeback last week uh, for, for Zach Wilson, who's got that dog in him. But I'm taking Miami in this game, Mitch. I don't care if it's Teddy Bridgewater under center. Miami's got more talent. Mike McDaniel's a good enough offensive coach to get it done against the Jets. Give me the Dolphins on the road. Your mom probably saw his ball, Zach Wilson. Give me Zach Wilson at home against the Miami Dolphins. Miami Miami Dolphins going to fall on the road here without Tua. I think this is going to be a disaster. Tua is the catalyst of that team right now. I like Zach Wilson and the Jets over the over Miami Dolphins at home. Uh, following that, we have Atlanta. They are leaving Hotlanta to head over to Tampa Bay to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, a tough one to pick because I'm not totally sure t- Tom Brady is going to be totally healthy to play this. He came up questionable today. So, mm-hmm. But I'm confident 
he's going to play on Sunday. I like Tampa Bay in an exceptionally tight one. I think Atlanta plays this team very, very tight. Give me Tampa Bay over Atlanta, though, at home. Yeah, between uh, the injury and the divorce rumors, I can't imagine Tom Brady's going to be in the right headspace on Sunday. So I am rolling with the Falcons in this one, Mitch. Give me ATL, the Falcons, to get the upset on the road. Two and two start to the season. They look pretty good at times. Got an explosive offense, it seems. Tyler Algier going to be taking over full-time with Cordell Patterson on the IR. You love to see it here for the former Brigham Young Cougar. We'll see how he shows out in his first uh, expected game with the big workload. But give me the Falcons and this one on the road. Mitch, uh, our final game in the Sunday morning slate and our garbage game of the week. Yeah, garbage game of the week. Hey, let's hit, hit it. it. This is just this is just hot garbage. Straight hot garbage. You're a garbage person. Yeah, we've got the Tennessee Titans heading to the nation's capital to take on the Washington Commanders. Mitch, this is an ugly game. Uh, Tennessee has uh, been up and down this season, but certainly not impressive. Washington has been a big disappointment. This defense is in shambles. Carson Wentz looks bad. This is not a fun game if you're having to watch this for some reason. Uh, But I'm rolling with Mike Vrabel and the Titans in this one. I don't really know why this is kind of a toss-up. I could go either way, but I'm going to take the Titans on the road. I'm taking the Commanders. I'm taking the Commies here at home over Tennessee. I'm, I haven't bought into Tennessee all year and I'm still not going to buy into him now. So I like the commanders here at home against the Titans. Following that game down, we're going to get into the Sunday slate, the Sunday afternoon slate, the San Francisco 49ers. They are leaving the city to buy to the Bay to head over to the East coast to take on the Carolina Panthers. Stop pounding, stop pounding at all costs. The Niners is going to get this one done at home over Carolina. Carolina is bad. Their booty hole. Give me the Niners. Yeah, I am excited to see future Carolina Panthers head coach D'Amico Ryans in Charlotte this week at Bank of America Stadium. Unfortunately, he'll be on the other side of the ball uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. But the Niners are going to get it done over my Panthers. It's a bad spot uh, to be at. They're going to. Uh, absolutely stifle that uh, horrific Panthers offense, get nothing on the ground. Uh, Speaking of the Niners here, Mitch, I neglected to mention this uh, earlier in the podcast, so I better do it now. Shout out to T.O., Terrell Owens. If you don't follow the Instagram and and the TikTok, uh, then you may not have seen this, uh, but I posted a TikTok this week, uh, a little little joke, uh, quick little TikTok Instagram reel, uh, talking about my love and affinity as a child for Terrell Owens and of course you know when you post these stuff on social I tag him in it he's got an official account I'm like why not you know uh you know maybe he gets to see it well T.O. drops the like on Instagram so shouts out T.O. you're welcome on this podcast any goddamn time anytime you want you let you us know anytime you want we'll make it work but shout out to T.O. for dropping the like on the Instagram reel. We appreciate that. That was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All Man. right. Uh, okay, Mitch, coming up next, the matchup of birds. couple birds. Another T.O. team. <laughs> Another T.O. team. The Philadelphia Eagles travel into the desert to take on the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. Give me the Eagles to remain undefeated on the season, getting the win over the Cardinals. Yeah, Arizona's going to win sometimes, but every time they do, we're going to say, wow. But 
this is not going to be one of those weeks. Give me Jalen Hurts so good and the Eagles over the Arizona Cardinals. I like the Eagles in this one. Uh, following that game, the Dallas Cowboys, they were leaving the Lone Star State Jerry World to head over to the City of Angels SoFi Stadium to take on the Los Angeles Rams. Give me Matthew Stafford and the Rams at home over the Cowboys. Uh, the Rams need to get back on track at some point, and I think this is a good week with a redemption game. Uh, it, Cooper Rush is still under center. Th- this this feels right for them, so give me the Rams. Yeah. Uh, Mitch, another T.O. team, <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, there it is. <laughs> on the road, it's so fine. Give me Cooper Rush in the Cowboys. I don't know why I'm doing this, Mitch. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't even like this Cowboys team. I don't want to be bought in on this. But I'm going to pick the Cowboys on the road because the Rams have looked really bad, and I just don't feel good about picking them right now. So against conventional wisdom, I'm going to go Dallas uh, on the road over the Rams. Mitch, Sunday night football, another T.O. team. Another T.O. team. Cincinnati Bengals. How did that line up like that? It's meant to be. It's meant to be. (laughs) The Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow, the Tiger King, taking the Bengals to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Lamar Jackson off to an incredible start to this season. Tough schedule for the Ravens. They've had some good wins, some tough losses. Uh, Give me the Ravens at home, though, in this one to make a statement in the AFC North, take that lead, uh, you know, sort of set that precedent of where the team to be in this uh, division. I believe Baltimore will get that done on Sunday night. Big statement game this week for the Ravens, and I think they get it done over the Bengals. Give me the Ravens this one. I think in a closer contest than most people will imagine, but big, big statement game for the Ravens. I like the Ravens on Sunday night as well. Following that, Monday Night Football, AFC West matchup between the Raiders of Las Vegas taking on the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. I'm taking the Raiders. I'm taking the Raiders in this one in a very close game, and I couldn't tell you why. Look. Can't think. I know that this. I know that this division, as weird as it started out, is still exceptionally competitive. Still very competitive, yep. and I think that some teams in this division are going to lose games that they're going to regret later down the road. This might be one of them for Kansas City. I know the spread's pretty big. I don't have the spread on me, but I know it's pretty big. Kansas City, big home dogs, but I like the Raiders or Kansas City, big road favorite or home favorites, but I like Las Vegas get this one done in arrowhead yeah i don't hate the pick mitch you know especially coming off that first win of the season raiders got to be feeling good uh, heading into this matchup and this is big i mean they're one and three the chiefs are three and one as far as the division goes you snag this road game here uh, you put yourself in a really good position if you're las vegas kansas city's favored minus seven in this game uh so not huge a touchdown favorite still pretty big in the nfl uh but you know it could be bigger with the with the way the chiefs sure. are that giving some credit there to how talented that vegas roster is uh, i am going to take the chiefs at home at arrowhead uh and what will be a closer game don't take the kansas city uh minus seven in this one uh it's going to be a closer than a touchdown win for kansas city i believe uh but give me the chiefs to get it done at home all right I can't, I can't hit on that one. All righty, Mitch, that's going to wrap it up for the quick picks. And that is going to wrap it up 
for the podcast. Guys, we appreciate you sticking around, listening as always, as you do. We appreciate uh, you being a part of this podcast. If you don't already, follow the socials. The Twitter is at Sports Hour Guys, Instagram at The Sports Hour Guys. You can also follow the TikTok at The Sports Hour Guys. Follow me on Twitter at Dale and Graf. Uh, check out the website if you haven't already, the sportshourguys.wordpress.com. I just released an article uh, actually today that we're recording this on Wednesday, October 5th. I dropped an article on there why the Philadelphia Eagles will not be winning the Super Bowl this season. Uh, so be sure to check that out uh, and any of the future content that we have. Uh, upcoming here on the blog site. Mitch, remind the people about Anchor. Anchor is the only place that you can become a permanent part of the conversation. Get on anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys and become a permanent part of the conversation. Leave us a voice message. Tell us that our tears suck. Who who would you have in your tears? What would you name your tears? Who are your worst college football teams of all time? Let us know anything that you have on your mind and get on anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys to become a permanent part of the conversation. Uh, you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you'll search us up, you will find the sports hour guys. Leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. Tell us that we suck because Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. That is the only way that we could get better. And we'd very much like to do that. It's a big goal of ours, uh, in fact. So uh, help us out in doing that by giving us some feedback, letting us know what you think. And uh, again, uh, we just uh, we don't do this just to talk into this mic at one another. We do this uh, for you, for the listener, to create a great show and have an interactive uh, product. So we do invite you to interact with us on our socials, on Anchor. Uh, Let us know your thoughts and your opinions on what we talk about here on the podcast. So uh, Mitch, that's going to do it more fun coming up next week. We'll be done with the wild card round of the MLB postseason. We'll be into the divisional round. So we'll have that to react to uh, ML uh, NBA preseasons beginning uh, games are starting to be played. So uh, we're right around the corner from that. So more fun to come as always. We look forward to here on the podcast. So until next time, we love you. We appreciate you and we will catch you next week. So long, everybody, and a very pleasant good evening to you, wherever you may be. See ya.